afraid, Dina. The one you've been dying for. You people give me the creeps. Okay, you big hunk of a man, come and get me. Jason <laughs> is back. Now, Come on! the face of good and the face of evil will meet one last time. What happens when the story dies, the evil is set free. Now that the films have ended, the genie's out of the bottle. That's what the nightmares are telling me, and that's what I'm writing. This is still a script we're talking about, right, Wes? It's kind of crossover, out of films, into our reality. The only way to stop is to make another movie. Oh, my God. The bad man's getting awful close. So, gentlemen, what is it we learn from these examples of series that reach a seventh installment? Uh, I'm not sure the playing field is level if you use movies alone. How can we judge sequelitis in video games if you aren't using video game examples? If you're going to only uh, use only horror movie examples, why not Saw 7 too? You want a video game that reached the seventh installment? Here you go. Aren't any RPGs? Well, yeah, except for the big one and Dragon Quest. Everything stops the numbering and picks wacky subtitles instead. So, I guess what we've learned is that the number seven is something companies don't like to use? Mm-hmm. Having been granted such a riveting informational speech, let us continue with the show. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Three, two, one, go! RPGs from the 1980s right up through yesteryear. Brought to you by the staff of RPGamer.com, we tackle the good, the bad, and the ugly games from nearly 30 years of RPG history. So sit down and hold on tight. Your next adventure is about to begin. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. Salutations. Welcome to RPG Backtrack. Um, just a little bit of a technical note uh, for the first t- about 15-20 minutes. Uh, I unfortunately had the microphone settings totally incorrect on the recording, uh, causing a lot of keyboard sounds and such to be picked up by the microphone. I got that fixed around about the 20 minute mark. Um, unfortunately there's not a great way for me to edit it out. I can try to I'll be filtering it somewhat. 
but if it gets on your nerves, uh, fast forward to about 20 minutes or so and it'll go away in a little bit. Um, but I didn't want just to leave everything that we had said up to that point because there was a lot of great information said before then. So I apologize in advance for any irritation it may cause and may you enjoy the rest of the show. And welcome to RPG Backtrack. This is episode number 98, Rolling a 7. We'll be, well, we'll be introducing who's on the show today. First, your pair of hosts. My name is Bill Willis. Mine is Mike Minky. And uh, we got this other guy in the call. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, Just that other, that other guy from England. That other, oh, England, yay. It's John Yearworth. Hi, John. Yep, that's me. The Hi. word out. How you doing, John? Um, well, you did call me at um, half two in the morning. Awesome. So, and yet, my lights are out. And yet, listen to that, people. He's still got his sense of humor, and he's still got his Cooperish accent. It's awesome. It's, it, you know, I, I thought it would, like, drop if he was really tired, but no. It's, like, always on. It's so cool. Uh... Let's not go into that. Hey, you know what else is really cool? We're going to be talking about Final Fantasy VII ripoff games. Games that weren't cool enough to be Final Fantasy VII themselves. Well, Phil, there, there's a very simple explanation for this, which uh-huh. is that Square Enix, Squaresoft lost millions of dollars on Final Fantasy The Spirits Within and had to recoup it somehow, so uh-huh. why not make some ripoffs of Final Fantasy VII? Ooh. I suppose so. Hmm. So, uh, and Mr. Ass will be on the show later on to help us uh, talk about uh, one of those games as well as uh, a movie called Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. And Mr. Uh, Mr. Yearworth will help us discuss Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. We have a blast from the recent past today. We have my next, uh, my number three of my top ten RPGs, Bill's top ten RPGs of all time countdown. We have your comments. We have a an audio review at the end of the at the podcast, all of that, and oh so much more on tonight's RPG Backtrack. So sit tight, we'll be ready to begin in just a few minutes. We have returned. We're ready to talk about Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. This was developed by Square Enix, published by the same. Uh, this was uh, released here in North America on March 25th, 2008 for your PlayStation Portable handheld device, aka your PSP. 
And uh, this is a single-player action RPG distributed on one UMD. Did this ever come out on the PSN? It's a Square Enix game, so I'm going to go with unlikely. Well, a lot. Maybe Final Fantasy seven, eight, nine are on the PSN, but I don't know about the rip-offs. I, I mean the the, the spin-offs. <laughs> Um, anywho, I'm trying to remember, but I'll, I'll see if I can find it while, uh, while Mr. Uh, Mr. Jonathan, who is really the only one who's played this more than five minutes, because that's about how long I gave it, um, <clears throat> will, uh, will enlighten us with a more educated point of view. Um, I will inject that the reason Mr. Apps had little to say on this subject is because, for some reason, he got the idea that the normal mode of the game is too easy and decided to play it on hard. And what do you know? He wasn't making it very far, and then he stopped. So that is why Mr. Apps, despite his best intentions, has little experience with Crisis Core. But not you, John. No, I'm, I believe I got... I'm trying to remember. I think I did finish it. Um, unfortunately, Crisis Core was played at an early point in my PSP when I had an unfortunately awful 2-gigabyte um, memory stick, and I lost most of my save data when that memory stick broke. So I haven't really gone back to it since. So any of my recollections, some of my recollections, maybe a little fuzzy side. So are you saying that it wasn't so super awesome that you didn't want to go back and immediately start over from the beginning? I kind of would have preferred to have kept my original save file, so I didn't have to do any uh, like additional level grinding or getting to the end of the game in order to do some post-game stuff, because, well, if, if I enjoy a game enough, I'll go on and do the post-game stuff. Mm. Well, it does, uh, it does look like, according to the PlayStation... Uh, website uh, Crisis Core is UMD only, so um, yeah, that doesn't yeah. surprise me. A lot of the Square Enix's PSP games, oh PSP UMD, games, yeah, like for example, Birth by Sleep, the only one of the only dual UMD games is uh, UMD only. But Brave Story, you could buy that as a download. Has absolutely nothing to do with Final Fantasy VII. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Which are one are you trying? To, are you trying to justify the PSP Go's existence? Long after the fact, Phil? Long after the fact. I, I had friends who rushed out and bought their Go, and I just waved at them as they ran to the store. I've got way too many UMDs sitting in my in my collection over here to wanted to join them in on the Go trip and start rebuying things on the PSN I already own on disc. So they really never came with a way to... Uh, you know, we're going to talk about that, I think, on the final episode. We're going to talk about physical media versus um, electronic uh, ownership and a, a little bit of conflict uh, uh, with that. But now is not the time. Now is the time for Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. Mr. John, everyone knows that the original Final Fantasy VII was most beloved for its incredibly deep story, rich characters, and intriguing plotline. Does Crisis Core live up to that reputation? I think that's a hard call, because generally I'm quite, I wouldn't say indifferent, but, um, and I wouldn't say that I'm frosty on Seven. Um, it is definitely a product of its era. I, I don't know, I'm probably going to end up with, uh, I don't know, horrific amounts of hate mail. The fact that, I don't know, I just... Wait, 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 John. Are you John? are you admitting yeah. on public podcast that you didn't absolutely adore the story plot and characters of Final <laughs> Fantasy VII? Is, am I hearing right? It certainly must be a problem with my headset. Uh, no, that is what I'm saying. Yes. Oh my God, John, you, you need to know this. You are in good company. Mr. Apps has also gone on record as saying that it is not the greatest game ever made. And then we kicked him off the show. So. Think carefully what you're saying here, John. Let's talk about Crisis Core for a minute, okay? Okay. Well, Crisis Core is Crisis in Crisis Core is interesting because it takes the um, role of one character who is basically a, 
a significant part of the backstory and motivations of the main character in Final Fantasy VII, okay. and significantly expands on his role in the sort of his backstory and so on, which does mean that you will know how the game ends. From as long as you played through Final Fantasy VII and paid attention during the cutscene, you know how Crisis Core is going to end. Mm. Um, and it's. I don't know, it's kind of sometimes difficult to kind of determine the difference between the writers genuinely coming up with good, interesting story and them making um, cheeky references to the previous game. Or making reference to the uh, to Final Fantasy VII, which of course is set afterwards. Well, do we know how many developers were shared between the two projects? Uh, I don't know it offhand, no. I, I, I have to wonder if any were, because that's about the only way I can see that you can make sure they tie together neatly. Mm. But I mean, like, it's, um, like, by kind of cheeky references, I mean things like, um, as long as I'm remembering the story correctly, um, Zack Fair, the main character, um, who is obviously a significant part of Cloud's backstory from Seven, um, meets, um, uh, Aerith in the same way that um, Cloud does, except by crashing through the church. Um, enemies probably important, you know, in the you know yeah. they're effectively setting something up. But things like um, you meet an NPC at one point who is wanting to construct bar in um, Sector Seven, and it's implied that Zack one responsible for calling it Seventh Heaven, which a few years later would eventually end up being staffed by. Um, uh, Tifa, and would be one of the first locations which you come across in um, uh, Final Fantasy VII during the early portion of the game. Um, yeah. Uh, there's also things like members of Turks as, as younger characters referencing, you know, the role that they will then go on to play when Final Fantasy VII happens a few years later in the game's sort of internal chronology. Okay, let me think. There were two Turks, and I can't remember their bloody names right now. Uh, and... you, meet, you meet a younger Tseng, and then you meet one who isn't in Final Fantasy VII, Cisne. Well, that fits. The, the Turks is an organization with enough enough unestablished backstory that you can fill that in however you want, really. Yep. Um, and, yep. and Elena was brand new in Seven, so she won't be in this, correct? I think that's right. As I said, my memories of it are quite, um, you know, distant. I, I'm relying for half of this on that gigantic Final Fantasy VII write-up on the net that I read a few months ago, because only playing that game once does not mean its story sticks to my mind as strongly as it possibly should. Mm. And Lord knows that I think we know enough people who are willing to, at the very least, correct us on where we slip up in regards to um, lore, in this instance. Right, all Especially considering how well-beloved Final Fantasy VII is amongst some of our fans. Right, all your corrections to john.yearworth at rpgamer.com Yes, please do that, and Shortly afterwards, you can correct everything else we get wrong because, uh, as we all know, we are the RPG backtrack is all about the facts, man. Absolute, absolute, <laughs> absolute unyielding historical accuracy. That's what we're known for, and absolutely no sarcasm, none, not a single drop. No, we took our model solely from Dragnet. That is the that is the personality we tried to come across as. Um. I was going to say that um, that there is quite a significant difference in gameplay styles in two games. That is, Seven and Crisis Core. Let's talk about the uh, combat style and such. 
Well, I mean, yeah. Final Fantasy VII was a fairly traditional, um, like, turn-based battle system that looked like it could have easily progressed. You know, you could basically see the progression between it and the previous game in the series, Final Fantasy VI. Yeah, it, um, it just uses the active time battle that six, five, four, and for that matter, Chrono Trigger using. Yeah, and it's fairly straightforward. Whereas, uh, Chrono, uh, sorry, Crisis Core is, uh, I think, was at least partially designed by the same guy who did Kingdom Hearts. Unless I'm completely wrong. Jitsuya Nomura or somebody else? No, Nomura was responsible for some of the character lines. I know that. I can't remember if he had a direct role on Crisis Core. But, like, the guy who did the battle list in Price Core, I believe, also worked in Kingdom Hearts. Okay. So, um, so, the, so instead, it, of, instead of a party-based, turn-based, or ATV-based, at least, um, sort of stand around and wait around to hit things battle system, Crisis Core's battle system is based on um, one character moving around who had a, effectively a, a crude dodge function that could be upgraded be a lot better. And um, your attacks were based on, you know, there, there was a real time element to it. Okay. Well, it was basically it. Your and your your attacks, yeah. I think I remember, had um, at least beyond the your basic swords when we all had uh, uh, cooldowns, as opposed to um, I think they had like there was a time cooldown. Some of them cost. Uh, I'm trying to remember how the game resource system worked. Hell, I think some of them cost HP, but I think there was an MP mechanic as well for casting certain spells. I think there was something else, but I may be forgetting it. Um, and the other unique part of the game was um, something called the Digital Mind Wave, DMV, or DMW. Which DMW. is basically a, a permanent, permanently running slot machine. And this permanently running slot machine was interesting in that as long as you had the resource available to operate it, it ran continually as long as you, as long as you were in combat. And not only did it determine giving you minor stat buffs, as you probably would expect a sort of RPG slot machine mechanic to do, um, it also governed how your summons worked, and also how you leveled up. So, there's an element of randomness to this? The, the, DM, uh, the DMW, if I remember correctly, can be, um, what's the word here, manipulated. It's okay. not truly random. There are elements that you can do that uh, change how it functions. What it, what it does is it seems random, but I believe there are things that you do that, um, the things that you can do the effect, the, 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 the sort of semi-random results to get out of it. Now, it's been quite a long time since I've given it, you know, giving it another run-through. Um, the other thing about, um, the other thing about Crisis Core, when compared to Final Fantasy VII, fairly linear game compared to Final Fantasy VII, okay. in that, um, the story progressed, um, chapter-wise, and, um, most of your, like, kind of things that uh, you you sort of do outside of accomplishing the main plot simply consisted of um, like missions that you'd basically pick from a menu, which would then take you to an area for you to then do that mission. There was no okay. aside from exploring these limited combat areas, there was no like big world map exploration. I mean, you could argue Crisis Core was effectively a shadow of of what was to come from Square Enix if you then factor in the development of Final Fantasy Thirteen. Yeah, just being able to select missions that you go on, even if you're immediately transported there instead of having to find them yourself, does sound a heck of a lot more, uh, what what am I looking for here, flexible than 13? Yeah, I mean, you could basically take a break from um, what you were doing in the plot 
um, to like, go on these little side missions. And these side missions covered everything from backstory elements to um, research, like research project, unlocking new summons for you to use, that sort of thing. I think mm-hmm. a few of them were locked out if you progress too far into the game's storyline. Um, but um, like you unlocked um, more towards the end as well in terms of things like optional stuff that would really challenge you as well. Uh, Crisis Core continued the usual Square Enix tradition of putting some extremely difficult bosses in its games. Um, Was the game at and- least clear with the missions that you could be unable to do after certain points in the narrative. I can't remember. I'm, I honestly can't remember how this, how the the uh, thing worked. I think the game did display messages for effectively points of no return. Like when you were visiting a plot location as part of a story, uh, as part of the chapter progression, the game did warn you when you moved on to you know uh, get to the next area where a cutscene displayed and you'd end up fighting a boss. I do seem to remember the game sh- displaying a message saying you know you you aren't coming back from this kind of thing. Okay. Um, but I could be remembering incorrectly, so we might end up getting some corrections in from the our usual team of um, sort of fact checkers. Uh, fact checks, yes. Yeah, that, what you just described sounds like several other games. I I can't come up with any specifics right now, but it's a fairly common thing now when a game puts you on more of a roller coaster than the sandbox type to just tell you, uh, you know, if you go ahead in there and kill this guy, you're not going back this. Yeah, I mean, but then again, I think Final Fantasy XII did something similar for when you were in a dungeon that didn't have access to the main game world. It it would display a warning before save, before you save the game, saying, you know, you're, you're currently in a closed location, kind of thing, and you can't get out until you accomplish X. I seem to remember that too, yeah. Um, so I, it's hardly new or something, uh, you know, that's no. completely unknown to the series. Um, and basically, the, the chapter progression um, basically follows... Um, Sephiroth pre-death, and I think it's one of the very few Final Fantasy games where Sephiroth isn't dead. Bearing in mind, for the vast majority of um, Final Fantasy VII, Sephiroth is dead, and the Sephiroth that you're chasing and the game's primary villain is not actually Sephiroth. You know, mind blown, and all that stuff. Yeah, that... I... You know, of course, I, I, I stopped trying to figure out which one was real and where the hell he was. Because... Yeah, whereas in um, Crisis Core, this is pre-the um, important backstory event mentioned a loss in Final Fantasy VII that caused his death. So the one that you uh, meet, for example, in the early portion of the game being quite encouraging is basically Sephiroth pre-death. It's kind of interesting seeing um, the sort of the other side of the villain, as it were. You know, a sort of more kind person. It's a little disconcerting, yeah. actually, when you're kind of used to the Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII. You know, sort of being a sort of kind of sort of cold-hearted murderer, even though that's not technically him. And oh god, I'm going cross-eyed. Uh, come back to us. You don't have to attempt to unravel this. Many have tried. I don't think it's worth making taking the hours of effort that it would require anymore. Yeah. Um, Just he's Sephiroth, and, not... and he's not stuck in a hole in the ground. So yeah, he, basically. He, he is, is the living he is, Sephiroth. Yeah, it is, he is around until the plot event mentioned in Final Fantasy VII turns up, at which point he dies. Because that's what happened, as mentioned in the backstory of Final Fantasy. In, you know, in, and that is played as a, as a backstory event in Final Fantasy VII. And the, oh, since, of course, this is the spoiler cast, you know that if you've played through Final Fantasy VII, that it is Zack's ultimate fate to die outside of Midgar and pass on his... Um, you know, his desires, wishes, or whatever, to the deeply traumatized person in the truck with him, who, of course, is the main character of, in Final Fantasy VII. 
lives. And, you know, so you know that when playing Crisis Core, that has to happen at some point in the game's storyline. And when it well, does yeah, happen... We're, we're not taking place in an alternate reality of Final Fantasy yeah, VII. Yeah, exactly. That... And it's kind of like, it, when it does happen, they do at least set it up very well and, like, execute it as the kind of grave event that it should represent, you know, should be. The death of the character you've been trolling for the entire portion of the game. Um, it, does that scene... See, I I can't remember if that scene was actually represented in Seven or if it was just talked about without being directed. No, the shown. scene was the scene is shown in flashbacks. I can't remember if they were mandatory flashbacks. I think the one involving Zack's death was mandatory. What led the scenes leading up to his death in Seven, I believe, were optional, provided you uh, basically you had to go to the basement of the um, Shinra Mansion in Nibelheim during I think Disc Two. And it would play out some flashbacks, additional flashback scene that basically showed the escape of um, Zack and Cloud from that basement, and then Zack's death later. Yeah, I, I'm remembering something <laughs> vaguely like that, but it's just, it's just not strong enough that I can come out and say, yeah, that was it. Uh, does the ending of Crisis Core, in fact, come across better than it did in 7 with uh, Sony's notorious translation work? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I personally think Crisis Core handles it better because it, Crisis Core was released how many years after Final Fantasy VII? They'd managed to... 10, 11? Yeah, see, the thing about the seven rendition of that particular scene is it's rendered in the in-game cutscene engine. Oh, yes, because, well, what looked good 16 years ago in 3D just doesn't anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, whereas in... Um, Crisis Core, the scene is rendered with a combination of in-game engine and um, you know, actual FMV cutscenes. So generally, the event is handled, I wouldn't say handled better, the, the event is generally handled the same. Depicted better, perhaps? Yeah, the, the, the whole event is depicted better. It also kind of depicts that, I think in the scene in 7, it's kind of implied that he's tracked down by, Zack is tracked down by something like four soldiers and shot to death. Whereas, considering what you go through in Crisis Core, it would be a little anticlimactic if you'd basically been through all of that level grinding, all of those chapters, all of those side missions, if you then were subsequently shot to death by four soldiers. Whereas, in the ending of Crisis Core, you basically go up against half an army, and the three soldiers who shoot you to death are the only three left of your sort of basically sort of half hour long killing spree. Um, which, well, that, you know, that works in be, the sense that more epic. Yeah, that that seems to present. Look at me, I just killed five thousand men, but I got nothing left. Yeah, and I mean the, the 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 way the game chooses to present it is kind of quite interesting. In that basically, the the digital mind wave slot machine is meant to represent a kind of how Zack's brain works, almost like what what how he's functioning. And the game decides to represent that final scene by having the it's a control effectively a, a section controllable gameplay, and basically the DMV. Um, breaks over the course of the battle as his uh, as he sort of runs out of hitments, you know, just sort of showing you what he thought about as he dies, which includes memories of his first girlfriend, which of course is Eris, so on and so forth. And you know, it, it's kind of handled in a very, very kind of almost an almost over dramatic fashion, I'd say. Yet it still seems to come across better that way than just. Here I am. I'm this walking dealer of death, and three and four grunt guys took me by surprise and killed me. That's yeah. kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm not really sure if there's that much else I can really say about it, really. Well, let's see here. Do you remember any particular fights that were overly difficult or annoying or particularly 
intriguing. Um, outside of the game's optional super boss, probably I can't. Not anything springs to mind. I seem to remember one of the battles against um, Angeal in one of the later battles, possibly the final one against Tip. I think I failed a couple of times, but I changed strategy, changed my materia setups, and and did better. And how I, does the I game don't... handle being defeated? Oh god, I can't remember. I think it was just a simple. If it were, if you're on a side side mission, it just failed the mission and returned you to the mission menu. If you're on a storyline, it returned you to the previous checkpoint. And the save points were fairly often. Okay. I think that... I, I again, I may end up getting corrected by our correction squad on that one. It it honestly well, has a long time. Well, I'm playing something right now that's give that's been giving me constant game overs and. Games that don't make me get game over after being one-shotted are nice to hear about. Mm. Okay, uh, the visuals. Um, pretty good for a PSP game. Okay. I mean, like, basically, I think a similar engine was used between um, Final Fantasy Crisis, Seven Crisis Core and I th- the engine that they would eventually end up using for Birth by Sleep. I think it's a fairly similar engine. But I think That would the, fit, given the, the, the battle sensibility. Similar, yeah. Um... And uh, actually, I think the other game that used a very similar um, field slash combat engine would be the unlocalized game, Final Fantasy Type Zero. Have you played that by any chance? Uh, I have started it, but I haven't finished it. Okay. I well, I haven't heard enough to really make a judgment on it, but... Yeah, I, I basically, I need to play more of it. I, I got started and then got distracted by Super Robot Wars. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. You know me, I'm not going to come down on you for that. No, and I know. If our, listener, if our listeners do, too bad for them. This is what happens when Namco Bandai release Super Robot Wars games on PS3. <laughs> There's only one so far, and from all it's, I've seen, it looks gorgeous. It's amazing, but we're getting sidetracked. Yes, we are. We okay. Aside, the visuals look good for PSP. Precursor, perhaps, to Birth by Sleep Engine. How about the sound? Uh, good music score. Yeah, definitely. Is there any voice acting? Yes, there is actually. I understand Square tried its best to keep uniformity between the cast members of the Final Fantasy VII Compendium. Um, um, I believe they were able to do that for most of them, at least between Crisis Core and Advent Children, possibly Dirge of Cerberus as well. I, I don't know, I haven't yeah, played well, which Dirge of Cerberus. I think the only, well, which the characters Dirge... would reappear in, in Advent Children from Crisis Uh, Well, Aerith once. Um, because yeah. she appears in Spirit in Advent Children. Uh, Genesis appears in um, Christ, uh, in uh, both Crisis Core and Dirge of Cerberus, I think. Hmm. Does he? No, I can't remember if he does or not. He might do. I, I well, there is a there is a thing which links apparently links Genesis, who is a, a major character in Crisis, major antagonist character in Crisis Core, with Dirge of Cerberus. Um, but I can't remember if he actually appears in Dirge of Cerberus. So I'm not quite sure about the voice acting there. Um, Zach's Finn voice actor, up? I believe. I think Zach's voice actor is kept consistent. Okay. Because he has um, spirit speaking roles in uh, a very small spirit speaking role in Advent Children as well. And of course, there's Cloud. Yeah, I, I can see that being an important voice to keep consistent. Mm. Vincent doesn't appear in Crisis Core. I no, I don't think he does. No, he's. I uh, think in Crisis Core he appears in a cameo, which if you, if you go and investigate where he will, where you add him to your team in Final Fantasy VII, it is possible to investigate that. But it's obviously not time yet for him to wake up from that crypt he locked himself in. At least I think that's that's how I remember it. At least there's also a young Yuffie who appears in Crisis Core. How young? Uh, well, considering she's only, like, 16, 16 or something in 7, so you meet her as, like, a 12-year-old or something. Is she still as obsessed with money as she was in 7? 
or will be. I heard, seven, yes, I, I think so. Okay, that's all I remember about her character, other than being. <laughs> well, she was more. Oh uh, yeah, she was obsessed with either money or material. It was one or the other. She, um, consumerist. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, how about length? How long did it about, take you? Sorry. Oh Christ! That's the one thing I can't remember. How long did it take me? Twenty hours, maybe thirty. Okay. D- did it feel too long, or did it feel about right? Uh, from what I remember from my playthrough, it felt decent. You know, I felt that the length it didn't drag. It might have dragged a little bit because I did quite a bit of side quest stuff, and by you know by the end of it, I just kind of wanted to 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 get that ending done with. But it wasn't. I don't think it was kind of. Uh, I think it would be the kind of thing that I'd have to go back to. Gotcha. Um, let me think here. I think I'm running dry on stuff to ask you. So, Phil, you got anything? So here's the here's the question. I mean, here's what it all boils down to, right? Is it worth three dollars plus shipping and handling? Worth three dollars. Well, I can find a copy for three dollars on eBay. Probably. Okay. I mean, how much do you like Final Fantasy VII, really? Well, what you just described certainly sounds at least worth three dollars to me. Yeah. Um, for me, I my copy of Crisis Core came with my Crisis Core PSP. I have a uh, one of those PSP with the um, uh, silhouettes of the Crisis Core characters on the back. That was that was basically how I got into the PSP was to pick up a special edition one. Did you save anything by that means? Sorry? Was it cheaper by that means than buying everything um, separately? I'm trying to remember if it was or not. Um, I think it was roughly the same price that it would have cost for me buying the game, uh, buying the PSP and the game new, roughly. It's been quite a while. Gotcha. I, I, I think I... Wow, when did I buy that PSP? Bloody hell. Must be, when did Crisis Core come out again? Someone got well, the, it in- came out in, I think Phil said March 2008 in North America. Let, let me quickly check and see if it was the same for you. I don't think it was that long afterwards, even if it... Yeah, we, for the most part, we seem to have gone gotten past the days when PAL releases were long after NTSC ones. Hmm. Um, okay, EU, apparently June 20th, 2008. Yeah, I think I got mine sometime in t- late 2008. Uh, I think it was around my birthday, actually. Uh, so that would have been August 2008. That would fit. The the first week sales rush would be over, and it shouldn't be... Yeah, there was... Um, we had a local, like a locally owned, or fairly locally owned um, game shop down, down in Cornwall where my mum lives. And they had two uh, Crisis Core PSPs. I bought one of them, and then a friend of mine came down and visited me from Portsmouth for my birthday. And he brought his PSP with him, liked the Crisis Core one so much that he then traded in his PSP for the Crisis Core PSP, a loss of something like 50 quid to him or something. Wow. He was that, that dedicated. Yes, I, I applaud his dedication while questioning his fiscal sense. Yeah, I, don't worry, I was questioning his fiscal sense as well. I couldn't stop him. Probably for the best that you didn't try very hard. Blood might have been left on the floor. Sounds that way. Yeah, I know not not to stand between him and Kingdom Hearts releases either, but story for another day. So yeah, that basically sums up my experiences with Crisis Core. Not a terribly memorable one, but one that you remember pleasantly, sounds like. Yes, it was an enjoyable experience, and I kind of feel like... Because I don't feel like I... I don't think I've, like, touched it since I made the attempt to finish it and then lost my save data, and I think that was still within 2008, so I haven't played it in five years. Well, I can understand not being eager to go at it again when your stupid memory had a malfunction. Oh, well. It happens. It does... I'm sorry, stuff happens. Shit yeah. happens to other people. It's true. I'm trying to quote George Carlin, and it won't work because <laughs> I'd have to get very foul. 
Hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. Do, do you have anything left to bring up here, Phil? No, not really. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with a blast from the recent past. No, we'll be right back with some other Final Fantasy VII after talk, and then we'll eventually get to. Well, you'll see. We've made it back. We're ready to talk about Dirge of Cerebrus, Final Fantasy VII, developed by Square Enix and Monolith Soft, published by Square Enix. This was released on the PlayStation 2 and later on on the PlayStation Network, where everyone rushed out to buy it immediately. Released here in North America on August 15, 2006, this is a first and third person shooter action RPG. Because, you know, when you, like, combine all these odd genres together, you only get the best. Single and... Monolith Soft was partially responsible for this? A single-player experience coming to you on one DVD-ROM, unless you live in Japan, in which case you got the multiplayer mode. Because, you know, games like this are just much more fun when you drag other people into the pain. Okay, I'm trying to remember right now. Vincent was the 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 goth guy. Was he? Yes. And you found him in a coffin. The vampire Yeah, his vampire is a vampire. No... I don't know if Laura officially has him as a vampire or not. I guess I could wiki it up. But, I mean, when I played Final Fantasy VII, it wasn't like I was running around sucking people's blood as an attack that I can remember. That would have been cool. I if I even used him. I didn't really. Yeah. I don't... That's the problem with having so many characters in a three-character party limit. I was too busy playing Mr. <laughs> T all the time because I paid a fool who got in the way of my, you know, super cannon attack. Pitiful, get fool, get in the way of my John face. Mm-hmm. Who Barrett will not be mentioned in Dirge of Cerebus, I mean, is this right? I mean, how how scary can a vampire be when his name is Vincent Valentine? I mean, come on, you want to invite him out for, you know, you want to give him a pink card. I mean, what are you going to well, do? Well, uh, well, he's pretty scary if he's packing heat, isn't he? Uh, you know, if he's a real vampire, he wouldn't need to carry a gun. Mm. That's very, very true. <laughs> so, Mr. Apps, listen to this. Yes. Listen to this. How does the vampire with the guns? Here we go. Listen, listen to this. Character designer Tetsuya Nomura, I hope I slaughtered his name, has explained that Vincent's character shifted 
from that of horror researcher to detective to chemist and finally to uh, to, to the figure of former Turk with a tragic past. Now, come on. Is it any wonder that a game built on this character is going to sting when they couldn't even get the concept down? Former Turk? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. And finally to a figure of a former Turk with a tragic past. It says in here, Vincent's cape took many adjustments to perfect for Advent children, and his gun was transformed to reflect his new role as the protagonist for Dirge of Cerebus. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to know that so much time went into designing the graphics of this game because that is clearly the most important part. Uh, I notice you're not speaking up on its behalf much, Mr. Apps. What is no, the, I what mean, could the reasoning be? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to say I didn't have fun with this game at points, but, you know, when when I thought of, hey, you know, what kind of you know, sequel, spin-off type games it could make out of Final Fantasy VII. A mediocre shooter action RPG was not really at the top of my list. Or really a shooter in general. So... Well, this is a third-person yeah. shooter, right? Yes. Okay. That's... You know what? When I think of that kind of game, I actually go way back to True Lies on the Genesis and Super Nintendo. <laughs> and I don't think it's anything like that. I don't think so. Um, really, it's, it's not like too much out there, and that's kind of a good thing. I guess, in a way, you could say it's, you know, considering there's some, like, uh, melee combat there, you could say it's vaguely like Devil May Cry, only... Um, you talking about the Mega you know. Drive game, True Lies? I yeah, think. I am. Yes, yes. True. Based on the Schwarzenegger movie. Right, that's that's I played one. that thing all the way through. I'm just making sure because you 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 talked about another game without doing proper introduction. Mm, True well, Lies, no. developed by Beam Software, published by Acclaim. This was released on the Game Boy, Sega Game Gear, Sega Genesis, and Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Are you sure you want to do that, Phil, when it's not an RPG? <laughs> this was released in 1994, a single-player run-and-gun game coming to you on one glorious cartridge of happiness <laughs> now that we've got everybody thinking about Schwarzenegger games of all things <laughs> I'll so, be back I go see my t- so I go see about a Terminator 3 adaptation now I tried playing the Terminator 2 Genesis game it sucks okay mm. yes excellent Terminator Terminator 2 T2 Judgment Day developed by Midway published by Midway directed by George Petro sorry I got more where that came from if you like (laughs) well okay Mr. Apps yes undoubtedly the reason for making this game was because Vincent Valentine's backstory is so inherently compelling and fascinating that it needed to be told would this be an, an accurate assessment? Uh, no. No, it would not. Um, at least not in the way they did it. Uh, like, uh, you know, this game's story, uh, you know, I'm not going to say Final Fantasy VII's plot may was exactly, uh, made a ton of sense at times. Um, Wait a minute, did he just uh, criticize Final Fantasy VII? No, well, yeah. <laughs> Hold on, Alien's busting out my sack. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. P- please understand, Phil was just impersonating the angry uh-huh. hordes who will no doubt be 
going for your throat when this reaches the airwaves. All right, listen, Angry Hordes. I like Final Fantasy VII. It's not perfect. All right, let's move on. Okay? Because How dare this you pl- say such an obviously truism? <laughs> Send all of your angry emails to wheels at rpgamer.com. Yeah, this game's plot is just like a mess. Like it, it deals with his background a little bit, I guess, and you know some weird organization trying to do something to the world. Um, I'm not going to say I remember it very well because I didn't understand a damn thing. And can there's we blame random... it on translation issues this time? No, I don't think so. You know, oh dear. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII you could because you know it was kind of that era. You know, there was weren't a lot of bad translations, but this was 2006. Times were a lot better. Um, also, it was a product related to Final Fantasy VII, and this thing did eventually sell 1.5 million copies. So I'd hope they would take the time to do a good translation. I wonder how many copies it would have sold without the Final Fantasy VII branding. Probably not that many. Like, you know, I understand this game is a spinoff, uh, trying to do something with Vincent, um, but story-wise, it just, you know, it, to do to do a spinoff of Final Fantasy VII, you know, Covering Vincent's backstory, that's fine. But as far as the central plot, you're gonna want some. You're gonna want a lot of things that basically make reference to Final Fantasy VII. That you know are gonna draw the fan in, and there there just isn't a lot of that here. Wait, you wait, know, wait! Is there not a bunch of new, a bunch of new villains that are kind of terrible? Is there not uh, a full level where you get to play as Kate Saith? There is. Okay, cool, done. Bam, references. <laughs> Boom. Isn't it pronounced didn't we go through that whole pronunciation thing? Isn't it Kai Shi or something? Did I did I not do my job here, Mike? Well I'm just trying to get it right in my own head. All you've done is proven to me Mike. that I'm doing my job correctly. <laughs> yeah, okay, I mean yeah. there there are some appearances by the cast which mostly serve to um not uh have much to do with the main plot at all. Uh, you know, the, the whole game kind of tries just to make, you know, Vincent the main hero trying to save the world, and uh, I, so I guess that's why it doesn't want to do much with the main cast. It just feels kind of, it's like a, it's just a disjointed experience. Like, you know, it's, there's all these Final Fantasy VII references, Final Fantasy VII locations in a game that you wouldn't expect from a Final Fantasy VII product. Um, with a storyline that doesn't really feel like it has much to do with the actual Final Fantasy VII storyline. So, you know, it's just frustrating, and that's, you know, before we even get to a lot of the different gameplay issues. Well, trying my hardest to play Devil's Advocate, which is not very hard. (laughs) Since Vincent wakes up in a coffin... And yes. apparently interacted with none of the other principals in Final Fantasy VII. How much could it really deal with the rest of the cast? Uh, well, well, that and I, I don't think you ever actually you can actually go through the game without even getting him, for that matter. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and, which you makes know, it, him even harder to base a, a concrete story that neatly dovetails into Final Fantasy VII on. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I should say this to be fair. Um, had the game been good and the story been better, I think it would have been a lot more forgivable uh, that it didn't do those things. Um, 
I think. You know, I'm not going to say for sure, but I think if the thing was actually a, a worthwhile experience, that would do the thing. But it, as it is, it kind of feels like uh, a quick cash-in, uh, hastily put together without much thought on really connecting it to the full Final Fantasy VII. You know, because even though I haven't played through Crisis Core, um, you kind of look at that as a prequel, uh, and you know, look at the gameplay, gameplay-wise, and a lot of other ways. That it, that is the kind of product you you wanted out of this. And you know, even though that is an action RPG, that still feels Final Fantasy VII-ish. Wait, 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 wait. We got yes. like the cat on the big huge dome, right? Yes. And and, and I mean yes. the cat like somehow controls the big doll that it walks around and attacks with, right? The cat, yes. But and he's got like a megaphone. Is... He's got like a big megaphone, right? Yes, but the and... cat is controlled by somebody, some Shinra guy. Okay, yeah, yeah that's too deep. I'm just saying. <laughs> That sounds really awesome. It sounds like a tie back to Final Fantasy VII, and it sounds really, yeah, you know, thoughtful. I mean, you're just sounds like to me you're just poo pooing on this whole thing. He's barely in the game. Come on, he's a full level. I, I mean, gosh, man, what do you want him to do? Control the whole game for you? He's, he's barely in the game, and you've got, I think the the main cast member shows up the most. Uh, Yuffie or Yuffie, I don't know actually how her name is actually supposed to be pronounced. I forget. I always think of it as Yuffie. I don't know why. Another, another technically optional character. Yeah, <laughs> how did you get her? I, I don't even remember, but I did it because I looked at a fact beforehand. You, yeah, you run to her in a forest or something, and uh, I forget. You answer questions or something. Yuffie. Some silliness. Ninja girl throws a really huge-ass star. Kind of yep. funny and cute. Yeah, that sounds deep to me, my actually, friend. Actually, I think she was kind of evil because she was blatantly out for money at every point. Okay, so yeah. that's all I remember about. So her. she was a little materialistic. I mean, come on, she's a woman. No, I mean, you know, I mean, what's wrong with this? I, I, I. Well, there's nothing wrong with her, and you know, it's just why is she the main? Why is she like a big character in this? Well, because everyone knows that, like, her and Valentine were, like, close, man. They were just, bam. They, they were... I don't, I don't even think boom. they talk at all to each other. You know, they go, like, way back. Way back. That's because uh, they're both optional characters. That's right. I know. That's that, cool. See? They have stuff in common. You know, Apps, all I'm hearing from you is negativity. <laughs> you want, All right. Do you want me to say something positive about this game? All right. There we go. That's what I like to hear. That, is, all that work on the visuals, it paid off, right? Yeah, yeah it's it, not, not that much. Some of the locations are pretty bland. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm trying. Um, uh, okay, let's... How about the music? Oh, yeah, Seven has great music. Da, 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 um, I don't really remember it, which could be good or bad. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You can use Materia, right? No. But but I'm looking at a uh, screenshot. I see Materia. Uh, it's like you can have your gun. Uh-huh. You shoot like magic bullets. Uh-huh. It's not really like really using Materia. So it's not 
as interesting or in depth. Like that's that's one thing that could have made this game a lot better if they kind of inserted the whole materia system and let you use all kinds of different magic Wait, in addition to the shooting and terrible melee combat. So there's this comment on here that says uh, Vince's defense. Uh, so oh, charms can increase his defense and decreases the weight of his gun among other things. And materia, which enables magic shots with special properties that use up Vincent's magic points. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Materia. No. Everyone loves Materia. It's just not. Like, it, this This game is kind of depressing to play because, um, you know, the, the shooting and stuff can be fun at times, but, you know, you want you want this game to be good. You want to have fun with it, and it just, it, it just isn't. Okay, okay. I, I got it. I got it. I know it's good about this game, okay? Because it's better than Materia. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing for final... You're saying that there's no, like, there's, like... Not enough tides with Final Fantasy. Well, it's got it's got Vincent, it's got Kitty Man on a doll, it's got Yuppie Yuffie, whatever her name is, and it has Materia, and, and that just doesn't satisfy you, man. But okay, I'm, I'm gonna hit you with the whammy here. Here's the Ace card: Limit Breaks, oh, Limit Breaks, Bam oh, in your face, Bam Limit Breaks, Bam. Uh, yeah. Let's see. How did you use a Limit Break in Seven? Um. You filled up a bar uh-huh. uh, through the course of battle. And then you opened up a can of whoop-ass. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, as, as I recall, it was really annoying, too, because uh, the limit break bar would just stay right there, and you'd feel like right where you'd want to use it instead of a regular attack. So it was very challenging to keep it there so that you might use it when, you know, it would be very, most useful. Well, Mike, Mike, that was an intentional design decision because when you've got – that much cool whoop ass can, you know, just locked. It, it gotta let it out, man. You can't hold it back. It's gotta come out. That could easily have gone to a very dirty place. Let's not take it there. <laughs> you gotta let it out, Mike. Okay. So, so how do limit breaks work in Dirge of Cerberus? Well, you can turn into a monster for about thirty seconds, Ooh. and you're stronger. Kick ass. But you're not invincible. Um, let me okay, check. Turn, turning into a monster reminds me of Zombies Ate My Neighbors, which no, I think I don't. is undeniably a better game than Dirge of Cerberus. Don't think you're invincible. Close enough. Okay, well, the monster was and I, invincible. In and I guess there's an neighbors. extra form you can get, but only in the final few stages. <laughs> if you can make it that far, of course. So, when you turn into a monster and you do monstrous things. What kind of monstrous things does the monster do? Oh, no, not nothing really. I mean, you you can you, your melee attacks are just stronger and you're faster. Oh, okay. And this lasts about thirty seconds. You said yes. So wondrous. So when you're a monster, is it noticeably more effective? Um. Yes, I can, can't can really you hold remember. on to becoming a monster until you need it, or does it just happen when you've charged up a gauge and there's nothing you can do about it? I believe you can wait and use it when you want to. Okay, that's good. There's one element I don't really remember. I mostly remember lots of shooting and running out of bullets and having to use lots of melee attacks, which is not nearly as fun. Ah, limited ammo. 
Now, yes. That's what I'm talking about. Limited ammo in an RPG type game where enemies could have lots of. Okay, blood. okay, check it out. Check it out. Last of Us, right? There, limited ammo, and and it's got like 10.0s across the board. I mean, limited ammo is a great design decision. Come on! But this isn't like a survival horror type of game. Survival with yuffie. Well, I guess in a way you could say it's a survival horror type of game. Because you're trying to survive to the end. Yes, this does sound like certain deep feelings, deep urges in your brain will be triggered that you must tamp down. Mm. Horrifying urges. Um, well, okay. Limited ammo. Uh, how many hits with your gun does it often take to kill uh, an average enemy? Um, oh, God. Come okay, let's, let, let me rephrase. Me now. Uh, not that how, many. How much ammo do you have versus how much would you realistically need to not resort to melee attacks? Uh, probably several orders of magnitude greater than you have. Ah, so you can take out maybe a third of the enemies with your gun. Yeah. Oh, goody. Well, because the graphics and the enemies are so cool, they want you to get up close and personal. So you can see them up close. <laughs> And I'm sure it's running at a silky smooth 60 frames per second, so you can, like, you know, just uh, enjoy the animation as you get in close. Yeah, well, yeah so as, as we know, yeah. as we know, Square Enix was notoriously, I'm sorry, not notoriously, supremely good at programming action games due to its constant practice with the format. Am I going off base here? Is this not what we know? <sighs> okay, so you're get, you're getting in there and smacking things face to face. Yep. Is there any strategy behind this aside from get in there and smack it until it dies and heal when necessary? Well, sure. You know, you gotta try not to get hit that much. Ah, so it is possible to dodge things. Uh, yeah, you can jump. Oh, you can jump. Well, you can jump. Is there any platforming to be done with this jumping? A little bit. Nothing too serious, though. Okay. And when jumping, can you do any jump attacks? Or is this simply a move to uh, get you out of the way of danger? I believe you can do some jumping attacks. Okay. Yeah, but... Yeah. Now, Nothing... Um, you, you know, a little bit, but... Now, is there any money by which you might purchase additional ammunition? Yes, there's money. You can use ammunition, um, you know, and they, you get experience as well, which at the end of stages you can use to level up and increase stats and other things. Can buy upgrades, Ooh, for upgrades. Weapons, more ammo, stuff like that. Oh, that sounds awesome, man! It does. See, that's the thing. On the surface, you know, we look at it, and it sounds pretty fun. It sounds like a decent game, and it's just not executed well enough. Like, I'm not saying I would never say that the whole idea behind Dirge of Cerberus is bad. 
you know the the con the, the whole concept like a shootery RPG starring Vincent. Like even if you want to keep it there, starring Vincent, it's a good idea. This could have been a fantastic game if it was done correctly. There's just too many mediocre things about it. You know, not even going well, okay, into those let, story issues I mentioned. Let, let's try hit detection. Yeah. Is that accurate? Are there instances when the hit detection could, in fact, be better? Uh, I I don't remember any issues with the hit detection. Okay. That I can recall. Let's you know, see. Just, How about the difficulty balance? Uh, that's not so great. Like the game could be way too hard at times. Uh, you know, like the issue I mentioned, if you're if you're not that great at shooting, you're going to run into issues like I did, where you just got to be really careful with ammo, and that makes the game not as fun because you're reduced to using the melee, which is not as fun as the shooting. And you know, in general, the shooting, the uh, the aiming is a little funky and not quite precise as as you'd like it. So, you know. Well, what okay? Let, what type of areas do you go through? Are you mostly going through constrained indoor locations, caves, uh, outdoor fields? To, is there a good variety? Uh, it, there's a, um, I want to say, there's a decent variety. You're going as far as indoor and outdoor. Maybe not okay. as much variety in the type of locations. It's a lot of indoor areas and um, a, a few like out in the wilderness areas but mostly you're going to be in a lot of city type areas or in like uh, Shinra type buildings uh, ah yes Shinra because Vince yes. had such a deep relationship with that company <laughs> well it's mostly just because you know a lot of those are left around obviously yeah. not a lot <laughs> not specifically related to Shinra Okay, what else is there to cover? We've we've covered how it is, in fact, an action RPG and not just an action game. Oh, yes. Since it came out so long after Final Fantasy VII, after the series started doing voice acting, do we have any of that? There is voice acting, yes, which was pretty decent. Okay, there's a plus. And I think... Um, I should probably look it up, but I think they may have gotten... May have been some of the same cast that ended up in Advent Children, hmm. and it may have also been the same the cast same like I know I think this was the same time around um, Kingdom Hearts Two maybe it might have been around the same time where uh, they had actors for Cloud and some people that were also the same in Advent Children so there may have been some consistency as far as the actors for voice acting, but I'd, I'd have to look it up. But the voice acting was, was fine. Okay. Well, after the, the mixed experience that was Final Fantasy X, it's worth asking. Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, thankfully Square Enix got much better after that. <laughs> first time was not the charm. No, first time was definitely not the charm. Okay, um, length. How long is it going to take someone who is not necessarily a whiz at shooters to blow through this thing? Uh, it'll probably still be under 20 hours or somewhere in that area. 
Excellent okay. value. I mean, you can grab this off the PSN network for like, what, 10 bucks? You get two and hours of awesome Final Fantasy it- VII entertainment. That's like 50 cents an hour. Is it on the PlayStation Network? Well, yeah. Well, unless they took it down. Yeah. It was released on the PlayStation Network. Wiki wouldn't lie that's to me. The way you ma- that's the way you make fans. Mm. By taking games down after you put them on. <laughs> I, I can just see what will happen to Nintendo if it takes Earthbound down now. <laughs> well, at $10, um, a Final Fantasy VII fan who's never played it might get what they want out of it. I don't know. Hmm. You know, I will say this though. Never really understood why they went with this kind of experience. I always felt that, you know, they could have just done like a big production Final Fantasy VII sequel as a full-on RPG, and I think that would have done probably very well. Well, Square seems to have reserved the full, the big budget sequels. To only ten and thirteen so far. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. you know, they. I mean, their 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 thinkology in the past was clearly, you know, they were constantly reinventing the franchise, um, yeah. rather than doing any sort of direct sequels or anything like that. While you had Dragon yeah. Quest, they're going four, five, and six, basically <laughs> being a sequels off of each other. Final Fantasy's like, no, we're gonna reinvent this wheel over here. Final Fantasy eight. Here we go. Draw that magic out. What I mean is is when they decided to do this whole Final Fantasy VII compilation, I think a full-on sequel RPG should have been part of it instead of wasting money doing ridiculous ridiculous CGI movies and Dirge of Cerberus. Oh, oh, come now. I'm sure Advent Children's budget couldn't have been any more than $20 million. Okay, okay. (laughs) Check it out. Check it out. Check it out, guys. You can get this brand new in the shrink wrap where you can slowly peel it off the corner right around where the words dirge of Cerebus go around the front. You can peel that plastic off, you know, like twisting the peel off an onion. And you can do it for only $50 plus shipping and handling. Bam. Don't do it. Do it, guys. It's a trap. Come on. It's a trap. Don't do it. Dirge is waiting for $50 you. Fifty dollars plus shipping and handling. He's like that. Boy. He's like that guy. What was that? Um, Tim the Toolman Taylor um, Home Improvement. You know the uh, the neighbor. Yeah, yeah, the neighbor who always had his oh, Wilson. Wilson, who always had his face behind. That's like Dirge. He's like his face is always behind his like cloak thing. You never see his mouth. It's like he doesn't have a mouth. I, I don't know. Well, sometimes you could see his mouth, just not the top of his yeah, head. You can see it a little bit, I suppose. I'm kind of looking at the picture on the art. So, all right. Well, hey, look at this. 2188 20, on Amazon Prime eligible. There you go. Brand new. There you go. Um, Still too much. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. You can get used copies for 10 bucks off of eBay. There's a director's cut of Advent Children. Well, yeah, hello. It was so awesome. Okay. Don't you want the director? Does it make the story make sense? It adds a whole 25 minutes to the thing. Oh, I don't trust that at all. I will bite my tongue. I will bite my tongue. I will bite my tongue. Okay, no, I won't. You know, that reminds me of when my mom got me 
Um, the Star Trek, the motion picture DVD collector's edition was like a huge box with all the VCR tapes. And I pulled out the first one. You could smell the smell of new plastic and VCR tape. And on the front of the box, because you, you, know, you open up the big box and, and then you pull out the individual tapes, which have their own little you know, case boxes. And it said on the front, 18 minutes of extra never before seen footage. Well, I watched it and I can tell you where those 18 minutes went. It was spent going around the Enterprise at the beginning over and over again. It was like, I don't know, Bill, the camera was having sex with the Enterprise because it just wouldn't stop. Bill, there is a director's cut of it, which in fact does not add 18 minutes. It, I think it actually subtracts a few minutes. It's not a great Star Trek movie even so, but that is the one to watch if you're going to watch it. I didn't have a choice. Mom got me that VCR, you know, series. And I was, uh, yeah. you know, she's sitting there watching me watch it. So I couldn't even, you know, press the fast forward button because then she'd be like, what the hell are you doing? No, she paid a lot of money for it back in the day. So I was just, you know, I had to sit there and watch those extra 15 minutes of, I think the other five minutes or so was where Spock was. They put an extra time, it seemed like, where Spock was going into V'ger or whatever. Boy, that opens up some Oh, jets. yeah, he was- and he was seeing such an interesting light show. Yeah, and and I think they put an extra time of the look on his face, you know, because that was absolutely the best part of that. So, go figure. Anyways, we digress. So, Dirge of Serapis, Everybody should. I mean, I apparently I, I think everyone's heard Mike's Mike Apps uh, communication loud and clear. His opinion is one hundred percent. You need to go out and get this, no matter the price. If you want, so, if, if you like. Devil May Cry, but we're like, hey, you know, I would really like it if this game were a lot worse and was Final Fantasy VII themed. Then this is the game. For okay, you. you see, again, Mike, I appreciate your input, but you need to choose some better wording for audience. Here, let me help you out. Let's say you enjoyed Devil May Cry, but you felt a little disappointed that it didn't actually make you cry. Then this game is for you. Okay. There you go. It does oh. It does what Devil May Cry advertises literally to you. So you may cry with Dirge of Cerebus, Final Fantasy VII. Pick it up at any fine gaming retailer located across the nation, coast to coast. We're in- okay, as, long as, we're, as long as we're comparing it to Devil May Cry, Mr. Epps, yes. Dante or Vincent? Dante. Okay, then. Also, Dante, Dante was in... Project X Zone and Vincent wasn't because apparently Square Enix was too good for that. Actually, I'm going to be really controversial and rile up the fans by saying Dante from the new Ninja Theory developed Devil May Cry. I was about to Not say, what about the brown hair? Dante. Yeah, which ones? Yeah. Which ones in that uh, game, Mike? Did they get the black hair or the silver hair one? He had silver hair. Mm, they're going old school. Well, well, he does end the new game with, with the silver hair. Yeah. All right. Well, since that's supposed to be like an origin story anyway. There you go. All right. So pick it up. Devil May Cry. I mean, Dirge of Serapis, Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> buy Devil May. Buy the new Devil May Cry instead. Grab, grab. I've never played any Devil May Cry. Which one should I start with? All of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, yeah. Just play like each one until you get too frustrated. You want to throw the controller. Then it's time to move on to the next one in the series. <laughs> that's what I do. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I would say try with three because that's supposed to be the best, but it's also supposed to be ridiculously hard. 
So it doesn't have probably, an easy mode. There is. I thought there was. I don't think wasn't so. Wasn't there like a special edition one that put in an easier mode, like after the fact, like the collector's uh, edition that had all three, uh, something like. You have to research it. Anywho, yeah. but uh, don't play. Two. But really, why would you even bother when you have Dirge of Cerebus, Final <laughs> Fantasy VII? I mean, and and you got a cat with a megaphone on a doll. So go out and check it out. Uh, we'll be taking a break and we'll be right back after these commercial messages. So we're taking a quick little break to talk about another Final Fantasy spinoff. Though it may not be considered a game by some, it is to some of us. Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, directed by Tetsuya Nomura, produced by Yoshinoro Kirazi and Shinji Hishimoto. And I hope I really slaughtered their names because I really tried. I think you did. Cool. This is distributed by Square Enix in Japan and Sony Pictures International. Released on September 14, 2005. The original cut was 101 minutes. The director's cut, 126. This is an awesome kick-ass movie for your PlayStation 1, 2, and 3 because they all play DVDs. It's also on UMD, so it's for your PSP. There you go. You got so many ways Yay. to experience Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, the video game movie. Well, we can only imagine what it would have been like as a video game. The fact is that Square Enix decided Final Fantasy VII's sequel had to be a movie. Okay. So, Mr. Apps. Yes. You've seen this movie. You've experienced the action, the awesomeness that is Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, haven't you? Yes. Look, he is so taken... The story has just taken his breath away. I can uh, feel yeah. exactly how ecstatic he is on this subject. Mm. And that level of ecstasy is... Indeed, quite difficult to measure, but our sophisticated apparatus are up to the task. Oh, well, obviously the ecstasy has yet to, t to fully take hold. So let's get into 
the greatness, the undisputed marvel, on at least a technical level, that Advent Children is. Well, yes, on a technical level, uh, damn, does this thing look good. Oh, man, does it look... I mean, you can see, like, every strand of their hair and everything. Their facial expressions are awesome. And did we mention they're, like, riding kick-ass motorcycles with all kinds of gears in the motorcycle. It's just... It's detailed. Awesome. There's some awesome fight scenes. Oh, man, left and right punches. Big-ass big swords. Come on, this is awesome. It is awesome, and except for the story. Because it's really dumb. Okay, there's that negativity we I talked mean, like, about. Really dumb. Negativity. Dumb. What's dumb about uh, it? I, I mean, I want to. Uh, I. Uh, you know, I'm sure had I actually played Crisis Core, mm-hmm. I'd have something positive to add <laughs> to this whole experience. But unfortunately, I was an idiot about that game and only tried to play it on hard mode. Um. Listen, this is this. I'm not this. This thing is kind of fun to watch. Uh, I'm not gonna say that I didn't enjoy watching this with some friends and the cool fighting and whatnot. Now, when you watched it with friends, were you yes. a rapt, enthralled audience, or was there some commentary at the screen from you? Oh, I'd say we were enthralled. Um, we originally watched it as some bootleg uh, subtitle version. Yes, I remember uh, it took a so, little while to bring over here, and I'm sure people like you exploited that. Yes. Square took too long. Well, I didn't. Somebody else brought that along. Oh, okay. I, I had no part in the bootlegging. But we that's how we watched it, and we didn't really catch a lot of the story at the time, so it was just like, you know, kind of, oh, that's cool. Oh, Tifa's fighting. That's awesome. etc. And Also, you know, uh, d- during your viewing, was any alcohol involved? No. Okay. Okay. Make sure. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you're sitting down. You're watching this movie. I mean, experiencing this video game experience without the proper acumens next to you to enjoy the experience properly, and you're going to complain and bellyache about it. Hello. <laughs> well, I can't complain about the initial viewing, you know, because it was mostly just cool action. Action. Um, Oh, hey, Cloud has a cell phone. I'm Batman. The world kind of went through lots of <laughs> trouble. How does he have cell phone service? Um, there was that. Well, um, it's it's because this was uh, a secret marketing material for Verizon, <laughs> which, as we all know, is the premier mobile phone carrier in Japan. And I'm sure when yeah. Gaijin hears this, he will have much to say on that subject. <laughs> um, if we, if you remember the Final Fantasy VII ending at all, it, it's not exactly definitive. So there's a lot of open-ended things about the end. Um, um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a mature adult about this, okay? You, you are yes. causing me to feel some rather negative feelings myself with the blasphemy you're spilling forth about Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> but I'm gonna exercise some restraint in the name of professional journalism and let you say your piece before I provide okay. a counter perspective. Um. So yeah, the, the ending of Final Fantasy VII is kind of ambiguous. The last thing. You see at the end, basically, Red 13 and apparently some Red 13 babies. 
running and seeing Midgar like overgrown with vegetation. You know, so save the planet. Five Fantasy Seven was yeah. doing Avatar before Avatar did. How cool is that? Yeah, so that's awesome. You know, obviously, when they did this movie, it's kind of unsure where exactly it was going to go, and you know, it just everything seems to be kind of as it was, except uh, kids are getting sick for some reason. Um, and that's about it. Cloud is still kind of cloud. And which means he's really annoying. <laughs> um, but yeah, this here's my basic summary of the plot. The kids are sick. There's some Sephiroth looking type kids. They have a weird box. They drop the box. Sephiroth is back. He fights Cloud. Cloud possibly dies. He There's some weird water that heals him and all the kids at the end. There you go. That's the plot. Are you done? That. Yeah, that's the plot. <laughs> okay. Um, but the action sure is pretty, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. Uh, sure in is. in looking at Tifa fighting um, some guy in a church, you know, you know, I think it's that church where Eris was doing her thing. Yes, it is that church. Uh, boy, oh, I Aris, kept thinking. Oh. I kept thinking the Matrix. But no, no, that, that it couldn't have been inspired by the Matrix. It's not no. like anything else was inspired by the Matrix. Of course not. But that also reminds me that Eris also randomly shows up, apparently speaking to people from beyond the grave or something. Well, uh, yeah. I'm sure we can come up with a very technical and official explanation for why she can do that when nobody else in Final Fantasy VII did, because... Uh, it looks great in the trailer. Yeah, and I think Zach is with her too while doing that. Which is kind of weird. Huh. Yeah. Go figure. So yeah, you know, lots of action, lots of incoherent, stupid plot, and there you go. Final Fantasy VII sequel. Okay. Well, okay. okay no, watched, it's my time. I've... You watched the original. It's edition. my time. I have. No, no, Phil, Phil, Phil. This will not take long. Having watched the original version, what yes. do you think adding another 25% in length with the director's cut would accomplish? Could it fill out all the plot holes and make everything sensical? Um, it could probably fill out Tifa's bust line some more. Ooh! Oh, you did not. You went there. You did <laughs> not. You went there. You did not. Okay. Okay, it's, it's my turn, okay? I have sat here... And I've listened to you shred one of the most beloved games of RPG history into teeny tiny shredded wheats. And and, and, and that is just not acceptable, okay? But I like Final Fantasy VII. No, no, you don't. Obviously you did not commit the... Obviously committed the horrible, horrible sin of merely liking it not and not loving, loving it, it Yes. That's your that's your problem. If you you know not loving it with every fiber of my being. That's right. If you don't love it with all your fibers, then we have to kick you out of the group. I'm sorry, you're no longer in the cool club. Now, here's the thing. I even bought this movie at full price. Here's your problem, okay? <laughs> After I had already seen it, you haven't given the story in Final Fantasy VII lore enough time and enough attention. Maybe it's you know maybe it's just over your head. All right, but for the rest of our listening audience, who I know is very, very smart, 
you know, all they all you have to do is go to is just Google Final Fantasy VII story, and it's like the second one is the IGN link, and it explains the plot in only 185 easy pages. Now, once you've read through that, then all of these pieces oh. fall into place for you. Can't I just ask Sam for a book recommendation that I can use 185 pages for anyway? Now, you, you want to understand Final Fantasy VII, this is the way to go. Because obviously some people on this podcast didn't get it enough from playing the game, because otherwise he wouldn't be so critical. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you... the re- So, here's my point of view, guys. I haven't seen Final Fantasy VII Advent Children except for the first five minutes, and boy, he is right about the awesome graphics. They're really cool. I didn't really get into the plot. Not really sh- uh, What happened? There was a fire in the house or something. Didn't get to watch the rest of it. But I know beyond of a shadow of a doubt that the plot was awesome. The characters, the voice acting, the dialogue. It was all five-star. Delivered with excellence. Second to none. So rush out and buy Final Fantasy VII Advent Children today. I'm done. Yeah, I can't really say. It's pretty cheap now. I can't really recommend completely against seeing it because there is some good action and animation. It's just why this was probably expensive to make I don't know the budget why not just we're going to have a hard time finding it anyway just because Japanese companies like Square Enix are very secretive about their financial materials I'm I'm just going to say why not just make a Final Fantasy 7 sequel um you know uh yeah Already made, you had already made a bunch of PS2 games. Probably had an engine you even could have used for it. Yeah, well, yeah. Imagine a, imagine a Final Fantasy VII sequel using the uh, same engine as Final Fantasy X and X2. Let's see here. Well, that would have been pretty and fun. And I think there's nine hundred and sixty-three thousand people in North America who might disagree with you. <laughs> Only 963,000? 963,000 units were sold by the fifth week of release, translating into $14.8 million in revenue. Hmm. In, in uh, let's see, in 2006, Square Enix and Sony announced that the English-language DVD and UMD releases combined had sold over 2.4 million units worldwide, with 1 million sold in Japan, 1.3 North America, and 100,000 in Europe. Stupid Europeans. Uh, let's see here. Square Enix stated that it enjoyed good sales, performing better in North America than in Japan, because we're smarter than those Japanese. Uh, let's see here. By 2009 of May, uh, sales had increased to 4.1 million copies. The English film version of the film achieved bestseller ranks on Amazon.com. Ha! See, that just shows you, Mr. Abs, what you know. 4.1 million people can't be wrong. Hey, did you know that there's four uh-huh. point? Did you know that there was four point one million smokers in America last year? <laughs> Just no, I mean, but yeah, four point one million people cannot be wrong. Okay. Hey Phil, do you know? Hey Phil, how many people bought that terrible Matrix game? What's that? Enter the Matrix. Actually, I'm trying to pull it up. 
Oh, listen um, to this. Uh, Kotaku cited Advent Children Complete as one of the main reasons why sales of the video game console PlayStation 3 radically increased during the film's first week of release. It, it moves systems. It, it's a system seller. I guess it is a game. Phil, how many tickets were sold for Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer? <gasps> Let me look it up. Ooh, 4.1 million. <laughs> what, a, oh. what a strangely consistent figure. Oh, well, you know, it's just coincidence. How many, how many tickets were sold for Michael Bay's Transformers movies? Okay, hold on. I'm going to type it in here. Uh, 4.1 million. Uh, do you yeah. know how many people bought Enter the Matrix? Hold on. Uh, let's see here. 2.4 million. Oh, but wait, another, uh, no, no, here it is. 1.7 million bought the Blu-ray edition for a total of 4.1 million. Enter the Matrix is a game. <laughs> not the, ma- not the movie. Was that the third movie? I was looking up the third oh, movie. No, was the, the really bad. That's Revolutions. Oh, 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 oh. That's the one where Keanu Reeves. Is that the MMO? Save- I don't know. Uh, Enter the Matrix, that MMO or single player game? That's a single, single player. player. Single player. It was developed by Shiny Entertainment. Mm. The one that was rushed to market with enormous, un- unmistakable bugs throughout. It had an MTV special. Okay, okay. Here's how you know you're wrong about it being bad. Advent <laughs> Children receive honorary Maria Award at the Festival Internacional de Cinema de Catalunya on October 15, 2005. It was awarded best anime feature at the 2007 American Anime Awards. And most incriminating of all of your poor taste, my friend, is IGN <laughs> placed it second in the top 10 straight-to-DVD animated movies category. And no one messes with one? IGN. What was number one? Yeah, and what else was on that list? <laughs> what else was on? Oh, okay, let's see what else was on that list. Because this is totally relevant to the conversation. Okay, uh, number one. Ooh, I have to agree. This was kind of a good video. Wonder Woman, the March 3, 2009 straight-to-DVD cartoon movie. I enjoyed it. That was pretty cool. You have to go and see that. That's. I'm telling you, their, their, their cartoon movies are better than the real action movies. DC's anyways, it seems like. Maybe, maybe with the exception of Dark Knight. Not difficult with Wonder Woman. Okay, let's see. What, what, let's see what number three the, the is. TV show from the seventies. Uh, no, yeah. Well, this is a cartoon. The cartoon was actually done pretty well. This is a two thousand nine release. Uh, let's see. Before that, number three on the direct to DVD cartoon whatever movies on the IGN list was Animatrix. I think I seen that one. I'm not really sure. Number four was Hot. That, that, that was good. Yeah. Number four was Highlander: The Search for Vengeance. Huh. I can't keep my Highlander stuff together. No, I can't. There's so much Highlander. Number five, Watchmen, Tales of the Black Freighter. Okay, haven't seen that one either. Was that, was that an adaptation of the, the pirate story in Watchmen? Maybe, I believe so. Maybe. Uh, number, yeah, because it couldn't fit into the movie. I remember Number this. six was Justice League, The New Frontier. Really like that one myself, too. Old, it's got that old school look, too. It's pretty cool. Uh, number seven, Futurama, Bender's Big Score. Okay. I approve. I approve, yep. Good news, everyone. (laughs) Number eight is Superman Doomsday. Uh, Yeah, let's see. Yep, about his faithful confrontation with the all-powerful supervillain Doomsday. Uh, That was pretty cool. Uh, The fight was pretty cool. They do a good job on the fights on those. Okay, Uh, let's see here. What's number nine? Number nine was Batman Gotham Knight. 
Ooh, I'm still I think I need the second part of that one or something. And then number ten was Resident Evil Degeneration, which I still haven't watched. I've got that somewhere in my collection. It was okay. Yeah. So there you go. We have totally derailed this conversation now. Wait, where was Final Fantasy seven? Number two and the children on the number two. Oh, number two. See? Tells you really? what you know. Yeah. I could probably think of ten probably ten animated things that could be on that list instead of Advent Children. It's just so negative, aren't you? What, 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 who's... Okay, let's see. 2009. What did... Oh, direct to DVD, so that means we can't throw any Miyazaki stuff in. I, ju- I just want to know who pissed in your Cheerios, okay? <laughs> I just want to know. Weren't a lot of those direct to DVD in the U.S.? Yeah? Yeah? Does that make them count? Didn't... Didn't hey, come out in 2009? Check it out, guys. Maybe I should play it on the podcast. There's there's a Final Fantasy VII The Whole Story YouTube video. It's like eight minutes, and it like wraps up the whole story <laughs> for people like apps who just don't get it. Okay? I, I don't even really want to get it. Like, Final Fantasy VII, it's a fun game. Why do I... You don't even need to get the plot. Which makes it kind of damning that they even had to have a ridiculously convoluted plot. Oh, and there's a longer version. Maybe you need a longer version. I think I need the longer version. <sighs> Alright, well this has become a longer version. We still have more to talk about, so... <laughs> uh, we'll take another break and we'll be right back. returned and we're going to talk about blast from the recent past this is the segment on the show that we occasionally do where we talk about a game that came out around this time two years ago sometimes a couple of games i think today i'll just pick on one unless i'm feeling particularly um inspired halfway through or something uh but i looked at the list uh, that mr mike meeky so wonderfully put together and i saw bastion on the list it's hard to believe that it has already been out for two years Bastion was developed by Super Giant Games, published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. It was released on a plethora of platforms, including Windows, Oset, Mac OS X, 10, I guess, Xbox 360 on the X, uh, XB Live Arcade, came out on uh, the iPads, Google Chrome, Linux, Online. Gosh, and, and look at here, it even came out on the original Game Boy, black and white version. Awesome. Might be joking about that last one. This was released uh, July 20th, 2011, Xbox Live. And uh, the Steam version, which is what I got, came out on August 16th, 2011. This is a single-player action RPG experience. 
show. And Mr. Jonathan has also experienced some of the thrills and wonders of Bastion as well. So Bastion is a is an action RPG um, that is really very interesting and unique in a number of ways in its presentation, or at least very well executed, depending on how you want to look at it. It's very gorgeous and pleasing to the eye with high colors and contrast. Uh, but this thing works uh, as, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to action RPGs, I just like to dive right into the gameplay. We can talk a little bit about the story because that, that has actually got a little bit of a bearing here. I'm <laughs> like, half the action RPGs I play is just about getting through it and grinding up your XP and your gear. Diablo just comes to mind. I just, I, I've already forgotten the story in Diablo. There's Diablo. Go kill it. That's what it came down to. Um, <laughs> and that was Blizzard. Uh Bastion, I think, actually has uh, seems to have a little bit more memorable of a story than, than at least in my opinion, than um, Diablo did. Um, oh, well, okay, we'll start with it. We always start off with the story. Do you remember anything about the story, John? Well, if I remember, you, uh, the main character wakes up off, seemingly after uh, some sort of great catastrophe mm-hmm. and is tasked with rebuilding his very, very broken world while the sound of an omniscient am- uh, narrator talks over his actions mm-hmm. yeah and that's yeah that's pretty much like something very dastardly has happened to the world and uh and and you wake up in what appears to be a floating chunk of the world and as you start moving around and and eventually run into enemies of course that you're going to have to kill there is this deep-throated narrator who seems to know everything you're about to do and he's got a very charismatic voice it's kind of charming you just want to listen to it more and more as he just seems to be commenting on what you're doing he calls you the kid a lot the kid takes his bow and kicks the demon in his chuski okay i can't i can't i can't really do this guy justice i mean it is really cool the voice acting is really cool um and it's definitely one of the highlights of the game the fact that this guy is basically narrating your adventure as you're going along if you're if you get really hurt he'll say something about that it just kind of chips in as you're going along and and at, at first at least and this is going to be highly highly subjective most people love this and i'm going to say this right off the bat i got a couple of criticisms about this game i'm going to tell you this is my own personal opinion like everything i talk about uh, i'm sharing the flame flame post on this but um for the most part it's really cool it was cool for me at the beginning but after I guess several hours in, the chime charm kind of for me it kind of wore off. It was like I think it could have been a little bit more sporadic. I would have been okay with it. Um, I was pretty much done with the voice after a while. But at the beginning, when you first heard, I was like, "Ooh, this this is kind of interesting. This is kind of cool." Um, so, um, but uh, yeah, it takes place in the aftermath of the Great Calamity, a catastrophic event that suddenly fractured the city as well as the surrounding areas of the world into many floating pieces, disrupting its ecology and reducing people to ash. So, uh, and then you will get to play the silent protagonist. Uh, he, he gets to be silent because the, the narrator is going to talk the entire time, who awakens on one of the few remaining pieces of the world and sets off for the uh, for the bastion where everyone was supposed to go in troubled times. So, um, yeah, so what kind of goes on from there is kind of cool. Um and you can just kind of go through it yourself because we definitely spoil stuff. But, man, I didn't actually get through to the end, so I can't really spoil this for you guys. You have to find it on your own. Ha <laughs> ha. 
Uh, but you set off, I mean, you set off eventually, you will get to kind of like a hub, you will get to the Bastion, and that and that operates as a hub, and you'll be able to pick from different places you want to go to, and that's kind of interesting and cool, because in a lot of action RPGs, including uh, Diablo, you're pretty much led from point to point to point to point to point, and they can feel, that was kind of one of the criticisms about Diablo, is that it, it really just felt very linear. Bastion, at least, you're going to get options of which areas you go to, and when you pick a, a direction from the Bastion, uh, you'll you'll be in uh, basically um, a different land that takes about anywhere from 5 to maybe 15 minutes at the most to complete. You'll have a variety of different weapons to play around with. Uh, there's melee weapons, there's the you know, range weapons like the crossbow and stuff, and each one has some different uh, mechanics and feel to them, so that that's pretty well done. Uh, the gameplay is solid enough. Uh, you'll be able to you'll you'll need to dodge around a lot, which again was a, a, a refreshing again compared to some of the other games that are out there. Um, being able to bounce around was was really kind of a cool part of the game. Uh, if an enemy was about to attack, there's a dodge button. You roll out of the way, and that saves your behindy quite often. Um, so very beautiful. Narrator was okay. Got a little grating to me after a while. I like the feel of the controls. Uh, there is some um, power, pa- kind of power-up system there. I believe, I'm trying to remember, it's been a couple years since I played, but um, uh, to talk a little bit, uh, let me see if I can just look at the uh, notes on here. Uh, yes, you can use uh, fragments, a form of the game's currency that you've accrued to buy materials and upgrade your weapons. So, um, and with each core that you're going to collect, you're going to add um, one of six structures to your bastion, such as an armory or distillery, and um, and uh, you'll be able to expand on those. Um, each one serves a different purpose. Uh, for example, uh, the distillery lets you select upgrades. The shrine allows you to uh, choose idols of the gods to invoke. Causing enemies become stronger or giving you increased experience points in currency. So kind of cool things like that. I guess in the gameplay department, I felt, you know, in playing, I I play a lot of action RPGs. I mean, from X-Men Legends to Diablo to Sacred and the such. I kind of felt like with Bastion's upgrade system, I think that's where it kind of felt like a little bit of a miss to me. When you play something, especially this is one thing, Diablo 3, and I keep when I say Diablo, I really mean Diablo 3, boys and girls, because I, I didn't actually really get into the older ones. But with Diablo... I'm glad you told me that, Phil, because otherwise I you were, thought you were talking about the you, original Diablo. You were just like looking on Wikipedia about the original Diablo going, why is he saying that? It wasn't linear. Um, yeah, well... Yeah, I don't think the original Diablo was linear. No, I, I, don't, I don't think it was i played it for a few hours but it were you know by the time i got into the original diablo um you know 640 by 40 graphics had gone way out of style so uh, i didn't stay in it too anyway i digress i play a lot of action rpgs and one of the kind of things you that i look forward to in playing a lot of the action rpgs is as i'm leveling up and is getting some really cool powers that act entirely differently and in Bastion, you only really get that when you find maybe a different weapon, which there are a number of different weapons, but there's not that many. Whereas in, let's say, you know, Diablo 3, what, that's kind of one of the things they nailed. You're going to get various powers as you go up, and then you get runes that interact with those various powers to make them act in totally different ways. I think one of the things that the, the guys at you know Blizzard did figure out is that players really get a kick out of 
uh, out of having these different ways for their powers to work, not just ways to increase the numbers, which you do do through your armor and your gear in Diablo 3. In Bastion, I think you still get some of that, you know, armor upgrades, I believe. Um, But it's mostly through upgrading, and that's how your numbers get higher. And that's kind of a bit more passive. Yeah, you it gives you some satisfaction to see you do, you know, see yourself doing bigger numbers. Sure, absolutely. It it just felt um, it feels more passive than getting, you know, more, you know, different ways to use, you know, flashy powers and things. So once you get the core mechanics down and you get kind of over the voice, for me, it grew a little too old, a, a little too fast. Um, but I'm in the minority because lots and lots and lots and lots of people love this game. So, um, all the way through to the end and have played it through multiple times and have given it really, really, really high scores. So don't take my word for it. If I remember rightly, did this not get RP Gamers Game of the Year 2011 award? It sure did, Mike. And the one thing about RP Gamers is that sometimes we all, we sometimes, <laughs> some of us agree to disagree. So I forget what I would have picked instead. Was it, was that the year Witcher came out? No, wait, it's two years ago. I don't know. There was something else. I was like, why didn't this get it? But whatever. Um, I, I'm not saying it's not a bad game by any means. I just thought it was a little – it was just a little you know, overrated. I got a lot more gameplay value um, out of even Diablo 3, which had its shortcomings, and I've put on the shelf since then. Anywho, um, but it is beautiful, and you know what? On Steam, especially on a good Steam sale, you can get this game for an absolute steal – and try it out for yourself. And it absolutely is worth – I mean I think I think it originally came out like 15, 20 bucks, bucks something around those along those lines. So if you get on Steam sale for five bucks, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, you know, pick that up and give it a shot for yourself and form your own opinion. This is one of those that I would tell you to go ahead and try it if you have any desired all fraction RPGs and form your own opinion because they do vary wildly on this one. So, um, or if you're not on Steam, gosh darn it, this is just about on every other, you know, platform that's out there. <laughs> so, except for maybe PlayStation. I don't think it's on PlayStation. Hmm. How rude. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Uh, $15 currently on Steam. But like I said, you, you just wait for a Steam sale and that'll be like five bucks or three bucks or whatever. Hmm. So, um, that's Bastion. Yay. What, what about you, Jonathan? Anyways, what what I mean, I kind of ranted and raved, and um, what what about what about what was your impression for the time that you got? How long did you get to play? Uh, not very long. Ah, kind of kind of did what I did with Crisis Core. Eh? Uh, well, yes, I think I did do that. Yeah. Hang on, I think do I still have it installed? We call it Bastion. we call it pulling thirty five minutes. Thirty five minutes. There you go. He's like downloading it now. I'm going to see what Phil says is true or not. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely do. Definitely try it. If you're, if you like, uh, action RPGs, uh, you need to at least give this one a shot and form your, you know, your own opinion. At least play it till you get tired of it like I did. That was worth it for the time I put into it. Um, and I do go back once in a while and just get a little bit further in it. One of the cool things about the Steam version, you got cloud save. So when you get bored of it like I do and delete it and then like four months later go, you know, I should have given it a little bit more time. And you download it, bam. It's just like Borderlands. It's like, bam, I'm right back to where I was at before. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Gotta love cloud save. Cloud save's your friend. Awesome. Of course, given what we've also been talking about tonight, cloud save could mean something else. Yes, it's true. Save for cloud. <sighs> and you know, along those lines, uh, Dragon Siege Three came up this time um, a couple of years Dragon ago. Dragon Siege or Dungeon Siege? Dungeon Siege. Dragon Siege. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm just not. <laughs> just uh, 
I saw that in the pawn shop the other day. You know, it it did, Dragon Dragon Siege Three didn't quite do as well as Bastion in terms of critical acclaim and the such, and it didn't help that it came out at a at a larger price tag um, as well. So I think that was like an official like fifty sixty dollar release. So just really fast, Dragon Siege Three. Uh, this was developed by Obsidian Entertainment, published by Square Enix and Eidos Interactive, released on June 20th, 2011, and another action RPG. Um, and, and this one kind of surprised – we'll talk about this one a little bit. I do have uh, some experience with it, and I just kind of saw it on your list, Mike. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling inspired. What can I tell you? Dragon Siege, I play – I keep saying Dragon Siege. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> Dungeon, Dungeon Siege. Dungeon Siege. Damn all right, Dungeon Siege. I have played uh, one and two, and when I heard that three was an action RPG, I had one of my typical "I can't believe they're dumbing down this game" conniptions. Uh, it's the same conniption I had with you know when Baldur's Gate came out. And they said it was going to be kind of stripped down from the Gold Box games. Later on, with later D and D games, got more and more stripped. It's the same canary I had with like Fallout Three, and you know, yeah, go on, on and on. Anywho, uh, that belly aching aside. Uh, Dungeon Siege uh, 3 um, had some problems when it first came out. Some of those things had to be patched. Um, It is – it uh, it does make it a more favorable – once you get it all patched and stuff, it does make it a more serviceable um, game to play. It released to pretty mediocre reviews, averaging a 72 out of 100. Uh, the story's a little bit of cliche. I ran through about five hours of it. I've already forgotten anything and everything they told me, but that's kind of typical for an action RPG. The action itself was okay. It wasn't anything that's going to blow your mind away. I think Bastion um, definitely earned its higher score because, I mean, I remember the graphics in Bastion being you know different and cool and pretty and unusual. I remember the gameplay, even though it didn't capture me you know, the way Diablo 3's gameplay did, if there wasn't a, enough going on there that I was able to give you guys a really great description of it. Um, Dungeon Siege 3? Hmm, it's typical. Go around, shoot things, kill things. I remember, I think one of the characters I was playing had basically two modes of fighting, which was kind of cool. You switch between the two. But uh, outside of that, nothing that's going to really blow your mind. There just wasn't anything there that made Dungeon Siege 3 you know, really, really stand out. With that being said... It got a lot of negative flack from people like me, Flame Boys, who were like, but this isn't Dungeon Siege 1 and 2. Dungeon Siege 1 and 2 was kind of cool in the fact that it was an action RPG where you were controlling a whole party. So when Dungeon Siege 3 came out and you're only controlling one person and it's really going this cliche route of that all the other action RPGs, the the thing that made it Dungeon Siege, the characteristic that really – I mean, well, one of the two major characteristics that made the Dungeon Siege series stand out. The other one was the the fact that it – um, I think one of the cool things about the first Dungeon Siege was that I don't remember any loading times. I believe that it was like one continuous world that somehow loaded in the background. And as you would go into like the dungeons and stuff, this, the transition was very seamless. Uh, but the really big thing in those games was you was essentially playing an action RPG with an entire party. And you would set up their their little skills and level them up and, and work that out as, as, as a party. It was – I mean Baldur's Gate was kind of like that. But Baldur's Gate, the char- you had six characters and because they were following D&D rules and they were very complicated you had to keep pausing with dungeon siege um it wasn't nearly as complicated as a D rpg or anything like that so you really could set up uh your characters just a bit do the basic things and just watch things go in real time and every once in a while you'd pause and interject and change what they were doing so but when three came out it was like a regular normal action rpg 
a lot of us were just a little cranky, and I think that kind of gave them a couple of extra negative points on some of the reviews and the such. With that being said, if you kind of step back and you take it for what it is and you can put in the back of your mind that it's got the Dungeon Siege uh, title on it, it's a serviceable um, action RPG. Um, I would still I would still recommend everybody go and play Bastion first if you're looking between these two titles that came out a couple of years ago. Bastion's going to be more memorable, and chances are if you're going to latch on to one of them, you're going to latch on to Bastion. But if you're looking for a little bit more, you can definitely uh, consider Dungeon Siege. Um, yeah, I would, I would say, especially if you're a fan of the series, but I don't really remember Dungeon Siege 3 really tying into the first two, especially since the stories and these things are pretty forgettable. And it's more about the gameplay and that experience. Um, but uh, but in either case, uh, with Dungeon Siege, I would definitely you know grab it on sale. It's, it's retail price is 15 so is Bastion. Uh, Bastion, I would say, go out and buy that first, even if it was fifteen. Dungeon Siege three, I would say, definitely wait for the next Steam sale where it's like five bucks or seven bucks or something. Um, if and only if you're looking for you know some more stuff to scratch your action RPG itch. So, I think it was either five or ten bucks at the pawn shop when I looked yesterday. Yeah, I didn't buy it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I would say I would just say for those PC gamers that are out there, if um, if you're, I would personally kind of steer you towards like Sacred Two. That's uh, that's a little bit of a. Li- nah, I can't remember exactly when Sacred Two came out, but we'll do. We'll talk some more about Sacred Two at some point down the road in RPG backtrack. But if you're looking for another action RPG that's more robust than Dungeon Siege and um, and uh, a little bit more deeper gameplay, but it isn't Diablo Three because you already played Diablo Three to death, you might want to try Sacred Two. Big world in that one too. Um, and it actually. Oh, well, go ahead. I, I notice we're not talking about Record of Agarest War Zero, which also came out around this oh, time two years ago. It's almost like we don't want to touch that. No, no, I don't think we do, Mike. But we are going to touch the uh, pause button for a few minutes. We're going to let you listen to some more Final Fantasy spin off, rip off soundtrack of some sort. And then we'll return to wrap our show up tonight with the final lap. Gotta cover our bases there. Indeed.
made it back. And we're ready to do the final lap. This is the part of the show where we do everything from reading your comments, just telling you what we're playing, uh, telling you what's going on on the site, retro news. We, we just throw it all here. It's basically the kitchen sink of RPG Backtrack. And uh, we, we, all, we like to start off reading our comments uh, from our last show, which which actually didn't get posted too long ago because we've been kind of uh, rushing a few things. But uh, our last episode was 97, another day, another Meseta, Meseta, something or other. I think John remembers that episode. Yeah, do you remember that episode, John? Yeah, I actually remember that episode. You should. All right, cool. And, geez, we talked about a Dreamcast game, didn't we? We talked about it. We did spend an inordinate amount of time discussing an old Dreamcast game. Yeah, some fantasy fantasy star action. Um... So let's uh let's uh let's read some comments here. Uh let's see, Strawberry Egg says Trimate, how about I just heal you with rest resta? This one I had a lot of fun that, that being had, on. I hope our listeners enjoy it. That had to do with the blurb that I used to describe the the, the listing that I made on the site. So Got it. <laughs> Quinn who is you know, who who's this Quinn guy anyways? I don't know. And, uh, he's just this. He's just this guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. But apparently, he's a venerable fountain of soundtrack knowledge. Uh, he's got a lot of information and a really cool video uh, about one of the battle themes posted. You'll, you're just gonna have to go yeah, and check for, that out for Dark Falls, Dark not Falls. Dark Force this time. Falls with a Z at the end because a Z at the end always makes it cooler. That's pretty true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. And Strawberry Eggs commented on that. And there's something I wish to share on this episode, so we'll go ahead and read this. The final boss fight in PSO Episode 3. Man, that thing was a pain. It summons mini-boss monsters which deal a lot of damage and have a good number of hit points each. I lucked out, and on my third attempt, I beat it because it summoned the monster behind itself. So it took a while to reach me, and I was able to take out the boss with my best cards. Played as a hunter before then. Good times. You know, this is great. Uh, Cassandra has just given me a really, really great idea for the uh, next Boston Pathfinder for my players. Yay! I'm gonna kill him for once. Yay! You cruel, cruel DM. I do try. Um, do you have the comments pulled up, Mike? Yeah. Oh, you wanna read Ombras? It was nice like always. Thanks. I was always wondering about the other Fantasy Star Online's after episodes one and two. Hey, Phil, it might have been because of the recording difficulties you talked about, but everyone else sounded the same as they usually do, but you sounded a lot different, and he hopes you're all right. And he really needs to look at Freedom Force because it's the second time you talked about it, and it is nice to see that they are so easily found. Yeah, yeah, it's a little irritating that you can't get both through one (laughs) distribution chain. You have to go, like, to... Uh, Steam for one, I believe, and GOG for the uh, Third Reich, but say lovey, you know, if that's what you gotta do to get your Freedom Force fix, you need to do it, because it's just that good. Let's see, then Shaman makes a supposition that we recorded this prior to July 17th, which we actually did not, as a reason why Earthbound was not mentioned in the news section, and that's just us well, we were kind of cramped for well, time last Well, no, here's so. the deal. None of us have a Wii U. 
So none of us care. Um, okay, okay, okay. All right, we won't be so negative. Okay, so here's – so yes, I, I, I just totally did forget to put it on just to mention it because I know there's at least three people in the world who have a Wii U who probably wanted to know. It was really funny. I saw a comment on there about it. Uh, we, we had a little discussion on one of the, the forum threads about it being a system seller. It's pretty bad when you're going back to a you know, 15, 20-year-old RPG as your system seller. <laughs> and you haven't even like re- – re- it isn't like it's a, it's a high-definition 3D re-release of the original Earthbound. Oh, no, no. It's just an emulated you know, Earthbound thing that they've held close to their vest for a long time. I will say Earthbound looks pretty good if you look at it now, but it's not going to entice anybody who only goes for shiny new. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's great if you happen to have a Wii U – uh, and you're into retro RP gaming as we are, then absolutely go ahead and, and pick that up. And I'm glad you brought that up for that reason, Shaman. Um, unfortunately, yeah. Hey, hey, Shaman, if you want to buy my my Super Nintendo copy, which comes in the big box, has the manual. There, the box has lots of markings on it from being a former rental, and the manual <laughs> is kind of beat up. But I might sell it to you for three hundred bucks. Seriously. It is it is really an absolute and positive shame that whoever I don't know who currently owns the rights to Earthbound does anybody know any idea was that Nintendo I would yeah. guess it's a real shame that they have not come up with you know a sequel or something on the at least on the handheld systems on the DS or something that wouldn't really well there, there's Mother Three yeah and we know what happened we know to what that. happened to that. And as for, there probably won't be anymore. No, that's it. Because that's... the guy, the guy behind this series, does not make. These were the only games he made, and he does not want to make anymore. Can't say I. Oh, okay. So <laughs> after it took ten, twelve years to make Mother Three, I can't really blame him. Hmm. I see. Uh, there's another post from this Quinn guy, and there's like lots of loot line. It's a screenshot. Lots of loot line around after Big Five. It actually looks kind of impressive. Yeah, the, the thing that always surprised me about that particular, that particular sheet, screenshot was how many um, partisans are dropped. That most of the loot is blades on a stick. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Blades Just blades sitting all over the place. That's hilarious. Well, because um, fa- the difference between Fancy Star Online and Fancy Star Online Two in that instance is in Fancy Star Online, when an item dropped, it was visible to all four players. In Fantasy Star Online 2, it, it takes the more modern approach, where loot is instant, on, instanced on a per-player basis, which means what they can do is they can kind of semi-tailor loot drops to your character class. And judging by my weapon in that particular screenshot, this was when I was leveling my Hunter, mm-hmm. which primarily concentrates mm-hmm. on melee weapons. I think they're just trying to tell me, you know, you, sh- you should have a partisan. Go on. Go on, take one. Here's 30. Hmm. Hmm. I almost kind of regret I didn't at least you know get some time to to play it when it was you know popular. I had if I had some friends who were into it and they weren't. It does look uh it does look interesting. Um, and the uh, idea of a futuristic kind of MMO uh, feel that's you know an RPG but futuristic at the same time is is pretty intriguing. I I did put some time into some of the other futuristic MMOs, uh, but they they didn't have either enough fantasy in them or um. Some of them were just really, really too focused on like a uh, what was it uh, something Eve, you know what this that one's called uh, Pete uh, 
Gosh, I want to keep saying Parasite Eve, but that is so not the right name. Um, <laughs> uh, Nightmare Pla- Eve? I don't know. Oh, I'm just drawing a huge blank. Anywho, uh, but one of the ones I played was just really, really super deep into all of its subsystems and economies and stuff, when all I really wanted was something that sounds like Fantasy Star Online, which is kind of like a more action-y meets JRPG, and we're focused on, you know, that combat and stuff. Kind of what you would get in a, you know, something like a Final Fantasy Online, but, you know, with a futuristic uh, clothing. So the screenshot looks very nice. Good, Good job on that. It's pretty. All right. Hmm. So uh, our next show that you can start writing in your comments uh, for if you'd like. We're coming up. I can't believe it. We're up to the double nines. Uh, Backtrack 99 is going to be Flight of the Valkyria. Now, this is going to be a very action-packed episode. Talking about Valkyria Chronicles. And those of you who are... Hard to believe it's actually old enough that we can do it on Backtrack now. Yeah. And those of you... It doesn't feel that old. And those of you who've been on Backtrack long enough, you already know where this is going. So... I, I seem to remember you have thoughts on Valkyria Chronicles. I do. Phil. It's just a rumor. Very interesting Very, uh, very uh, debatable. Um, yeah. Very, shall we say, thoughts that deviate from the standard conceptions of the game that's right that's that's the kind of person i am so who last time last time i think the uh i think the the bodyguards almost had to pull me away from the microphone and stuff like don't hurt him don't hurt him phil so yeah you'll just you'll just have to come and check it out let's talk uh really fast what's on our there's a lot going on, on our side i don't always get a chance to talk about this but boy oh boy i mean you, you just if you haven't been to rpgamer.com in a while you really need to go check it out. There's there's all kinds of uh, news. Uh, Mr. Apps is back on the Q&A after I did it a few times. Uh, so you'll want to go and see. He's talked about the Legend of Heroes, Persona, the Dot Hack series, and oh so much more. We got another episode of RPG Cast number 273, Get Off the Mixer. Uh, that's really uh, That's up on there. We got the review for Dragon's Crown, which I happen to be holding here in my hand. And I, I told Mr. Mink, in case, in case you haven't been browsing our forums, you really should. There's a really great video. I think it's on page four of the review thread forum. Uh, and everyone's going to rush to go there. Um, it really shows the heart of the gameplay in action. Uh, you- yes, John, you are familiar with this wonderful video, aren't you? Wait, which one? The Dragon's Crown video that promotes touching. Uh, I'm familiar with it. You don't so sound as Phil excited is as I am. To elicit- <laughs> I I think we'll just let that stand unless yeah. you would Yeah, so uh you know all I can tell you is that I was going to be playing it while some of y'all were talking about crisis core stuff and things like that since I I yeah, I don't really have much to contribute to those conversations. Um luckily for you all because I'm from what I understand that would have distracted me so much I may not remember to come back to the show. Uh but the Vita needed to update itself. So yeah. Anywho, uh, but no. Dragon's Crown, I think, yeah. I think what really kind of stands out to me about Dragon's Crown uh, and tying that in with RPG Backtrack is it looking at the real gameplay outside of the video on page four of the thread is it looks – it reminds me a lot of the old Golden Axe or the recently re, re-released D&D arcade games. Uh, I forget exactly what the subtitles on those are, but recently the D&D arcade side-scrollers. Legend of Mistara? Yes, Exactly. 
they were recently re-released on the PlayStation Network and I believe Xbox Live. Uh, they've gotten pretty decent uh, reviews. So if you're if you're into that, you can check those out. Now I had already played those uh, about four or five years ago on you know the big E, and uh, went through those once and enjoyed them for what they were. But the, being that they were arcade games, they were totally designed to kill you a lot, and they weren't designed to be a very long playthrough. Uh, you could you can get through those games in a straight shot in thirty to an hour tops. So the idea, uh, Dragon's Crown combines that idea but makes it a lot more longer, a lot more in depth, adds that traditional action RPG mechanic of leveling up your characters by multiple playthroughs and gear and, and the such, and then puts it together with VanillaWare's excellent, gorgeous, and original visuals, a little too gorgeous in areas. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's something you want to check. Check out the full review at rpgamer.com. Don't take my word. I haven't even played it yet. I'm just I'm just going off what I read on the review <laughs> um, and what I saw in that one video. That's all I need to see. Um, four minutes, best minutes of my life. So we've also got a review for Arcania, The Complete Tale. Um, if you are a fan of the older Arcania series, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I'm an admirer because I do. We have, I think we've kind of touched on that old Arcania games here before. We had a backtrack on it, I thought, or we at least touched on them. Uh, this is a re-release of the first game with updated visuals and the such. Um, so usually you do that to an old classic. It usually works out, but there might have been some misses here. You'll want to check out the full review for more information. Uh, that's Arcania, and it's got subtitled Gothic 4 here on the screenshot. So, uh, And then uh, Tale, or, uh, I, there's also a review for Mystic Chronicles. So it's a, it's a mobile I RPG. I proved that, so I, I know exactly why Alex gave it the score he did. Yeah, so you'll want to check that out. Uh, one of our, I think RP Gamer is one of the few sites that's out there actively reviewing some of the iOS RPGs. And this one has uh, Square Enix's fingerprints on it somewhere, I think. No, it's Nasume. That's what I'm... It's Nasume and Kimco joined together for release on... Originally on the PlayStation Portable, and I guess then it got released now on, on the Vita. I, now on the, the, the Vita. Vita. However we pronounce that stupid thing, I can't... Vita. I can't remember. Vitamins. There you go. So, and last but not least, it has nothing to do with rpgamer.com, but IGN has a... Re- oh, okay, no. Just, I won't go there. I'm just trying to get Mike upset. It's our favorite website, IGN.com. <laughs> for good reason. Where else would you go for more in-depth, comprehensive, interesting, intelligently written reviews? Deep reviews. I didn't even use that adjective. You threw it in there yourself. Deep. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let me just try to think here. I don't, and I, you know, a lot of this retro news. I'm just kind of going off the top of my head of what I read throughout the week. I don't really have like a cheat sheet or anything like that that really tells me off the top uh, what's super great and awesome. And I do check a couple of websites, but um, I, there's not really one great central location to find out if there's been some uh, re-releases or anything along those lines. I do check out GOG though. They they do really good with that. But nothing else other than. Uh, nothing else other than that Earthbound news that I can possibly think of. But if you guys got some news, do what our loyal four readers had done and correct us by going to board – is it board or forum? A uh, board. Board.rpgamer.com and let us know if there's some good retro news out there that we need to share with the vast populace. Uh, let's do uh, a quick round table or should I do my countdown first, Mike? I think you should do your countdown. All right. So let's do it. Number three. Number three. Yeah. So 
This is my top 10 countdown, my highly subjective list of RPGs. We've been counting down from number 10. And as we get closer to show 100, I will talk about my top RPG at all time that nobody will see coming at all. Even if they listen to every single episode back, there's no way they'll figure it out. None whatsoever. So my number three spot is, where we keep going back to this topic today, is an action role-playing hack-and-slash video game. Um, however, it's, it's a little deeper than your typical action hack-and-slash game. The battle mechanics are very uh, are still very reflex-dependent, though. Don't get me wrong. It's that you will have a couple more options than you may typically have as uh, far as your potions and things go. But it's still an action RPG you know, at its heart as far as the gameplay is. What sets this game apart is not the action RPG aspect, which admittedly I actually have some issues with. It's actually the story and the characters, which in an action RPG, it is unusual to have memorable stories and deep characters that stand out in our overall of a flooded genre. But that's exactly what The Witcher does. The Witcher was developed by CD Projekt Red, published by Atari. This was released on October 26, 2007, an action RPG hack and slash adventure, single player. It was developed in Poland. Yes, developed in Poland and coming to you on a DVD, but more than likely you are now downloading that off of GOG or Steam nowadays. Um, Witcher, ca- Witcher came out to some, uh, came, had a rocky, a rocky start. It was, it had some bugs in it, and it had long loading times, and that kept a lot of people away, including myself. And, and that was a shame because it had a lot of good things going for it, but the technical aspects were holding it back. And had nothing been done, I could see this game quickly fading into obscurity because of it. But the people at CD Projekt did their fans right. They spent inordinate amounts of time to not only address the bugs, but to go the extra mile and reduce the loading times and to even put in some extra content. And that was uh, that was uh, given to all of the people who already bought it uh, for free. The enhanced version was later released in September 6, 2008, um, with new animations, additional NPC models, uh, and the such, um, more monsters, vastly expanded and corrected dialogue. I'm just going to read some notes at this point. Trans, uh, better translation, improved stability from the bugs, and uh, a redesigned inventory. And according to one website, the load times were reduced by roughly 80%. So and then they also over have overhauled the game manual, so uh, that was huge. I mean, they just they took this thing that would have just been pushed off to obscurity. They could have just taken the sales they had made up to that point and walked away, but they didn't. They put in all this extra time. They for and they re-released as enhanced edition, giving the people who originally bought The Witcher the enhanced edition options to download for free, including the big old ass patch that you know that would be. I think it was like a gig or two or more. Anyways, um, uh, but there was a making of DVD, um, a CD with 29 songs in the soundtrack, another one with inspired, a short story from the book. The Witcher is based on on books from from Poland that are actually quite popular RPG books, uh, etc., etc. So when the enhanced edition, maybe we should investigate other RPG books in Poland. Yeah, I mean absolutely, and. And so this was about the time I came on to RP Gamer a little bit thereafter, and I was asked to re- to review this. So I did, 
and to my surprise, it was a very, very excellent and well-crafted game. One of the things I'll never understand that more RPGs do, so we always say that RPGs, you got the, the gameplay aspect, the tactical fights, or the you know, whatever that may be, your characters that are growing and progressing statistically, blah, blah, blah. We all like those aspects of RPG, sure. But we all say what really makes RPGs stand out is the story, right? RPGs have better stories than first-person shooters, arguably, and, you know, the other genres. That's our prize trophy that we set up there. Yet, interestingly enough, most RPGs, you kind of forget about the story. You go to most people and you ask them, you know, about any RPG they played more than six months to a year ago, and they can't give you much details about the story because, unfortunately, most of the stories in RPGs are forgettable. It has always struck me as very odd that... Why don't we, you know, either take from the really good books? Well, don't do like Lord of the Rings, though. We find out what happens when we rip off Lord of the Rings. You don't get good games out of that. But why don't why why don't we hire those writers or use that material um, from the really good books and build off of that? And that's what Witcher did. You have a very likable character in the main character, Geralt. He is um, a Witcher, which is essentially a monster hunter. This is this is set in a world. I'll see if I can find the name. I, I'm very bad with names, as you guys know. But um, the world itself is a low fantasy world. Now, most of the games we play is high fantasy, and the difference is with high fantasy, magic is usually fairly common. People are pretty much well to do. Uh, everyone's got smiles. The the issues in those worlds, yeah, there might be a world that's about to be destroyed, and people are worried about that. But take away the one danger from the world, and in a high fantasy setting or the impending, if you take away that conflict or you resolve that conflict uh, that threatens the main, you know, whatever that main plot hook is. Chances are your your high fantasy world is a pretty happy place to uh, belong to. Low fantasy worlds typically uh, in low fantasy settings, magic is pretty limited. There are monsters and the such, and they scare the mess out of people. There are various races, but uh, usually they're facing problems that are bigger than the meteor falling from the sky or the demon Asmodeus who's going to pop out from hell and try to terrorize the world they're dealing with things like prejudice and uh, social issues and things that actually affect you in the real world things that affected medieval uh, Europe and things that actually affect us still in the world today and in that way low fantasy can oftentimes connect with its readers in a way that high fantasy does not of course if you're looking to get into fantasy to completely escape the real world then low fantasy may not be a great choice for you but low fantasy gives you a different look at the problems that plague today's society and does and because it's doing it through the eyes of fantasy does it in a way that's a different colored lens and and that in of itself makes it intriguing in this world for example the the elves uh, do not blend in well with the humans, and uh, they're often on the outskirts and their skirmishes and uh, and the such. And one's trying to cast blame on the others. Uh, there is a gang of gorilla freedom fighting elves, dwarves, and other non-humans um, that are trying to always fight for their freedom. Dwarves are kind of the bootlicker race, and a lot of them are servants of humans, and they're kept in the poor corner of town. Uh, in the Interesting. such, that's. That's different than the usual take on dwarves, yeah. where they're a, a very separate society. Yeah, a very separate society with their pride and everything else. You know, dwarves. Here it sounds like they're kind of uh, the untouchables of Indian 
casts or something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting and very deep. As you're playing your character uh, and you're going through The Witcher, you're going to face a lot of these tough social situations that are going on. And in doing work for some of the factions or the king or whatever it is you're doing, you're going to have to make really tough decisions that will return, that will absolutely positively come back to haunt you in the future and these are not your typical knights of the old republic decisions where there's well it's clear that if i chop off his head that's going to lead me to the dark side but if i heal him i'm going to the light side oh no 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 the witcher gives you true gray area just like in real life decisions that are really hard to discern what is that best decision to make or the most good decision and such and so you find yourself uh, making decisions that maybe you feel either Geralt should do or maybe you personally might do if forced you know through that situation um, people will talk about you know the needs in life. Geralt himself is a womanizer, just like some guys are, and uh, you know there are opportunities in the game for him to uh, bed uh, some of the women, and uh, and that's uh, his affair with uh, with uh, one of the ladies in particular is a is a part of the plot that's going on, and it's done maturely. It's not like you're playing some spiky-haired teenager. Oh, well, we hate each other. I hate this girl. At first, she's at my party. and But later on, we're, we're saving the world together, and we're in love. No, no. This is this is done much, much more maturely. Uh, their, the dialogue is just so, so well-written. The retranslation they did, or wherever they fixed it, it is just stellar. There was one scene. Now, I make a lot of jokes here in the RPG Backtrack. I joke a lot um, outside of my job where I'm pretty serious, but uh, by nature, I'm a pretty joking person. So the flip side of that is it can be hard to really make me laugh, you know, for realsies, especially when I'm playing a video game. Video games don't give me a lot of real LOL moments, but dang it, The Witcher did. The Witcher will really pull on your heartstrings and your emotions in different directions. During one of the bar scenes where, where Geralt is in there with a bard, and the, I, I can't even get into how cool this bard is. I mean, he's just a basic dude who's just down on his luck and a dwarf friend of his and they're in the bar and they're talking like three normal guys having drinks about women and life and the, you know how they jibe each other as they drink there it just goes downhill they're, the intelligence of their conversation goes downhill it is such an excellent scene and and i was sitting here laughing to myself as if i was watching one of the best comedies ever made it's really that good and you play this game for no other reason it is for the dialogue and it's for the story and the decisions you have to make and the fact that those consequences will come back and play. And, and, and in case you've forgotten, because the game is kind of long in the tooth, it does go on for several dozen hours. So in case you've forgotten about that decision you made in Chapter 1, Geralt will remind you because as he does the chapter opening for Chapter 4, he'll say, and here I might have gone this way, but I did this instead, and now this is the re-. And he'll kind of remind you and refresh your memory. It is so well done. With that being said, I, and I gave a game like a 4 or 4.5 out of 5. It is absolutely a must recommend. I'm looking here. You gave it a 4.5. 4.5. There you go. And and the only reason I gave you a 5 is I will talk about a few of the nitpicks because, I mean, this game is absolutely positively memorable. And there are some nitpicks with the gameplay, which keeps it from my number one spot and kept me from giving it a 5 out of 5. Um, but again, I, while I'm about to tell the nitpicks, I cannot emphasize this enough. Play this game. If you don't like action RPGs, I don't care. Put it on super easy, whatever the easiest mode is, so you can experience the story from Geralt's point of view 
for yourself. And if you put it on easy, the game is much easier. If you play it on normal, the game is kind of hard. And if you put it on hard, God bless you. You will. Well, you will. That's what you want, presumably. You want it to be hard. You want it to be hard. So let's talk about the gameplay mechanics and aspect of it. Now, normally, I'm often quoted as saying, uh, well, no one quotes me. Well, who am I kidding? Um, but I do often say that, in my opinion, for the vast majority of time, I play RPGs for the gameplay. Um, I can read books and get really great stories, but they don't pull me into that characters and that story the uh, the way the gameplay does and building that characters from scratch and things like that. I'm usually turned off by games that have pre-made characters and stuff. But here in The Witcher... Like I said, the story and the dialogue so good, and the fact that your decisions do actually freaking matter, and and yeah, you gotta go do it. So, anyways, the gameplay, it's serviceable, but it's not going to win any stellar rewards. The so it's an action RPG that's su- that's done with 3D graphics that suffers from some camera controls. That's usually instant disaster right there. And there was a few times I got pissed off because during a fight and things are going on in real time that I wasn't able to execute the combo or get out of the way fast enough or whatever that deal may be and ended up you know, suffering the consequences for that. Uh, that can get a bit frustrating. Thankfully, it doesn't come up enough to really hold this title back. I think maybe two or three times a chapter at the most uh, would I get a bit frustrated by that camera angle. But um, so Witcher... It does happen. It does happen, yeah. Geralt has... Um, uh, a big ass sword, and I'm trying to remember what else he has. It has been a while since I played this game. He has three different fighting styles, and the different fighting styles come into play as you fight different enemies. Different styles work better on different enemies, type of thing. So you'll need to recognize the enemies that you're fighting and switch on the fly as appropriate in order to get the the best result. It's time based a little bit when you click your mouse or whatever it is that I did to swing the attack. I remember that proper blocking and timing of my attacks made for better combos and got me better results to add to that you've got potions that you can create you're going to find herbs out in the world you can mix those herbs together into potions if you're one of those people who loves to gather herbs and create your own gosh darn potions you'll just adore this i hated it but uh, i'm not a potion maker fan at all uh, but if you're into that sort of so thing, is it's there. So is that a, a hook for Atelier fans? Yeah, there you go. Atelier fans are like rushing to go play this. Um, yeah, I get to make potions. Oh, yes. Woohoo! <laughs> if, if, from what I understand, what the developer said is if you're playing on easy, the potions really aren't necessary. If you're playing on normal, um, you're occasionally going to need to rely on those potions for the tougher fights. And if you're playing on hard, you will really need to learn to maximize the potion system. So I was playing the normal mode, and they're right. You will need it for the tougher fights. You can take potions before battles. Like, I don't think I can take them once battle began. I could be wrong about that. The only weird thing about potions is be, they're enhancing your abilities or your defense or whatever, but they're also somewhat toxic, kind of like alcohol. Take too many of them, and you're going to pass out or take damage or whatever the deal may be or could possibly die as a result. So watch your intake uh, is, what they'll, is what they'll teach you in that one. Um, I just got to a point where a certain point in the game uh, – oh, and when you level up, you need to allocate skill points. I forget exactly how fighting styles and things. Oh, and you got magic. Oh, duh. The magic uh, – there is a magic system in the game. Forgettable. I don't even remember what it was. But you can level up your magic, you can level up your fighting styles, you can level up your defenses as you're, you know, leveling up, so to speak. Um, so that all that is there, and it's okay. It's nothing that's going to blow the mind or make you write home about or anything like that. Uh, at some point, I just 
kind of put my concerns and thoughts about the battles so I could see what was going to happen next. So my advice, play it on easy unless you're just a hardcore action RPG fan then you might want to try normal first before doing a replay through on hard. Um, speaking of playthroughs, so you can save the game. I believe I can save it pretty much anywhere that wasn't in a fight. But here's the thing. Usually most RPGs like, I don't know, Knights of the Old Republic or whatever have you, you might have like save right before a big decision, which typically comes towards the end of the game, and you'll go one way. Like in, in Knights of the Old Republic, it was so hilarious. It didn't matter if you were light side or dark side. There was one decision you made towards the end of the game that gave you the one of two endings because it totally shifted you so far in one direction or another. If you saved right before that, you went through that last battle or two, bam, you got to see the other ending just like that. In Witcher, you can't play that game with your save files because it's the decisions you make even all the way back to the beginning of the game that have a trickle-down tree-branching effect like a Witch Way book later on in the game. And there's so many hours between those chapters. There isn't an easy way just to go back and pull up that last save you did an hour before the end boss and get a totally different ending. You'll need to start the game over again. So if you're a hardcore action RPG person, I would say play it on normal first because you're going to want to play through it again. Uh, and then if you can get through it on normal with no sweat, then play it on hard or whatever the harder level is to give yourself that extra pat on the back. But um, for the most of us, easy is fine for your multiple uh, playthroughs to see those different things. Uh, very, in case I didn't make this clear before, very adult-oriented um, subjects. There's even, if you if you get yourself um, uh, one of the ladies from the brothel... <laughs> You will uh, get a picture on a card briefly that shows some nudities. Nothing you wouldn't see in certain art galleries, nudity art galleries or whatever have you. But you probably don't want to be playing this around your six-year-old. Just saying. Bobby might have some questions for you if you do. Um, plus their language, they're, you know, they're going to swear sometimes. They're going to they're gonna talk about very you know, difficult subjects and the such. So um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I... I but uh, graphics were okay for 2008. They were a little bit on the rough side. Uh, pull the camera back. Maybe you won't notice that it's not that super great. Witcher 2, which came out later on, had much, much better graphics. Um, and I do recommend uh, Witcher 2 as well. But but Witcher 1 was my first love. And it's absolutely the one that stuck out of my memory as the game to go back and play. So the one that I would recommend to everybody has my number three spot. So go out and grab that today. You can grab that. I would recommend the GOG version, uh, GOG.com, if for no other reason that uh, it has no DRM. The Enhanced Edition is an 8.5 gigabyte download. It's $10. Uh, GOG does do sales on that once in a while if $10 is just way too much for you. But uh, they've got 6,271 user ratings, averaging at 4.5 stars or higher. So, yeah, you're going to want to check that out. Um, and if you like that a lot, then don't hesitate. If you got the graphics card that can support it, to go ahead and pick up Witcher 2. So that's also a really great game. But uh, uh, and in many ways, is uh, like the graphics is better than Witcher 1 in, in some ways. Um, the story's still pretty cool too. But I still, you know, it's kind of like Witcher 1's the first one. It's awesome. Start with that one. And if you really like it, then move on to Witcher 2. Don't start with Witcher 2, and then if you like it, go back to Witcher 1. You're going to kind of it, – it, there's it, the 2 is the one you want to play after 1. So, Is there a 3 on the horizon? I have heard that there's 3 on the horizon. They're talking about open world. Uh, everyone's really kind of excited about it. Uh, we'll see if Project, uh, Project Red, CDK, whatever their name is, can pull another – can pull off the hat trick, but – uh, yeah, there's a lot of excitement for Witcher 3. So we'll see if they, it's a hat trick if you get three in a row, right? What's that called? Is that three? 
I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's hockey. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. We'll see if they can get that third one in a row. Uh, CD Projekt Red. So, Witcher, go buy it now. And that's number three. And next week will be number two. Ha ha. Or next show, which is coming up. Next show. Next show. Well, well, we're, we're, yeah, we're recording it sooner than usual, but uh, that's just because things have been interesting lately. So, by you know, I've talked long enough. I want I want John to talk. You there, John? Just about. Okay, because the ladies on the show have fallen asleep. They want to hear from you. So, what are you doing? What are you doing in RP Gamer? What games are you playing? Any retro news you want to share? Anything you want to share, period. Any shows you've well, watched? Did you clip your toenails today? I did. As mentioned on um, the RPG cast last week, which was on... God, what's the date? Saturday for you, that was Saturday, right? Oh, yeah. That was Saturday for everybody, actually. Um, on Saturday 3rd, um, I've been... have briefly returned to Final Fantasy XI in preparation for to play Final Fantasy fourteen again. What? How much experience do you have with Final Fantasy fourteen so far? Uh, I participated in... I... I have a copy of the original version, and I've participated in the third phase of the beta test for A Realm Reborn. Ah, the original version, yes. Uh, and was it as bad as it's said to have been? Hmm. Tough call. So it's, it's, it's a- definitely not one where you can instantly say, oh no, everybody was wrong. Oh no! I, I it it was full of problems. If 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 it wasn't, didn't at least have some sort of you know serious structural problems, they'd have never have torn it down and rebuilt it from the ground up, or at the very least rebuilt it better. Sensible. Um. And, um, yeah, as far as me playing Final Fantasy XI, I've had, a, like, an account active with them pretty much since 2004. I've never never really unsubscribed from it. So, you want to play an MMO again all the from the beginning all the way to the end just to kind of give you the backdrop for the new one? No, no, I just logged back into my old character. Oh, okay, I'm not that silly. I was about to say, you are dedicated. I mean, you just... I was just going to feel so small. Um, but no, that's basically what's happening. I, I think playing Super Mario 1 to to go to number 2 is just way too much work, and that took like 15 minutes with pipe warp zones. Mm. So, that's pretty cool, though. Um, have So, you haven't actually gotten to 14 yet? Well, uh, we're currently waiting. We're currently in the gap between the end of um, beta phase three and the start of beta phase four, which is apparently starting sometime this month. Um, what? How many happen- beta phases were there? Will there be? Uh, well, the idea is um, characters were wiped between beta phase three and beta phase four, uh, and then the idea is the game will then be soft launched from phase four. In that there will be no further character wipes once be- uh, Beta Phase Four starts, um, and the game will then be released. Uh, I, th- I think it's late late August. I'd have to check the dates. Hmm. Um, but I think some people are kind of treating it as a sort of stress test slash 
uh, sort of early start period kind of thing. Makes sense. I can understand why Square would want to take this as gingerly as possible. Hmm. I think from everything I, from from the amount that I played in during beta three, it seems that the um Naoki Yoshida, the guy handed the unfortunate job of rebuilding Final Fantasy fourteen into a realm reborn, has done very well to incorporate criticisms made feedback he uh, he probably has like one of the most thankless jobs in Square Enix right now, like turning around one of the like the biggest MMO failures into something that will actually turn around and earn a profit. Um, and while a lot of um, we can't really judge his successes until the game is released, and you know we have you have an idea of how many people are actually playing the game. So. To be brutally honest, regardless of what happens um, with A Realm Reborn, I wish wish Mr. Yoshida luck, because if this doesn't go well, he's very unlikely to have a job. Yeah, they've got a lot riding on this. Hmm. Yeah, that's... That's a big job to have fall on your shoulders. Hmm. And, well, if he does well... He'll probably be staying with Square for quite some time. Yeah, he'll probably remain as the um, the sort of overall manager for the game as it goes into moves into the future. Well, heck, eleven is still going, so he will probably have a job for a very long time. As long as yeah, as long as a Realm Reborn avoids the mistakes that its predecessor made, um, it will probably end up surviving at least off its Japanese audience for a long time. Um, which is kind of really how Final Fantasy XI has been propped up so well for 11 years now, as it still has a very almost cult following in Japan, with a sort of fairly decently sized US slash EU contingent. I think most of the game is still propped up by, by Japanese players. No, oh, but you know, I mean, I can't really. I believe it. I mean, we're Ultima Online is still going. I mean, psh, mm. these MMOs. And I mean, yeah, and they're celebrating that you know, eleven years of um, continued operation, with the exception of that one month where they shut the servers down to preserve electricity, <laughs> which wasn't you know was in the wake of a, a major um, you know natural disaster. So it's kind of understandable. Hmm. Well, okay. Um, we'll, we'll look forward to further reporting when the beta phase switches from three to four, I suppose. Hmm. And there are several people on the RP Gamer staff who will be rolling on uh, Leviathan server when the game goes live. Now, do you know if they'll have, like... No, I won't ask that. Okay. Cool. Well, I, I really do. I'm not personally interested in 14. Uh, I can't possibly even begin to think about playing an RMMO, especially since I'm spending uh, some time in other games right now. But um, I will say that I really do wish them the best. I hope it really works out for them because uh, I don't think Square Enix can afford another blow uh, like the first round with 14. So, um, And that would not be good for any gamer out there. Um, if uh, if Square Enix uh, has more massive issues, so 
Cool beans. So how about you, Mr. Minky? Well, I have begun to play Mario and Luigi Dream Team, and thus far I haven't come across any dream elements yet, but... But it's a team, and and they're like dreamy. What's the problem here, Mike? You there, Mike? Hello? Uh-oh. Where did Mike go? Oh, crap. Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, I will take... I'm just sorry. I was going to say, while Mike was gone, I was going to take the opportunity just to say goodnight. Goodnight, John. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Good night, John. Good night. Thank you for being here. Well, our team, along with Princess Peach, is on Pillow Island. Not spelled as it sounds, but that's how it sounds, I'm pretty sure. And I'm pretty sure that name is going to tie into the dream aspect. But right now, it has yet to come across. So far, it's just Mario and Luigi doing what they do. And you know what? I like what they do. Especially in their... Mario is controlled with the A button, Luigi is controlled with the B button in turn-based battles where you get to react and either deal extra damage or dodge your own. And I admit that my reactions aren't as good as they probably once were when I was a hyperactive teenager, but they're still good enough that I can dodge most of the enemy attacks. And you know, that's fun to do. And... So far, all I can say is that Mario seems to move a little slower in this game than he did in the other Mario and Luigi games. And the shift to 3D models instead of sprites is interesting, but I, I have no stance on it, really. It's it's there. It's a, it's a design decision that was probably made because we're on 3DS and we might as well use the processing power that's, for That's right. Something. Gotta show it off. I have also sunk way too much time into Shining Force Neo, but honestly, can you blame me when I had sunk at least 45 hours into the damn thing? Admittedly, a lot of that was optional, but how optional is it when you're getting massacred in a new area, so you need to go grind? I am level 115 right now, and I... Well... Apparently, this next boss, which is reached by going through a third, ten-floor, randomly generated dungeon, is hard enough that I will need that. I've maxed out most of my stats, or not stats, abilities, and we'll see, because yeah, if you go into the wrong area, even at level 100 plus, you can still get massacred in one hit. Isn't that lovely? Hmm. Sounds exciting. Um, it... Yeah, yeah. Exciting. That's one word we can Sounds use. like a challenge. Yes. It is a challenge. Uh, I would also like to address Shining Force Neo's u- use of a very unique method of swapping enemies. Now, most games, to convey that an enemy is stronger, will 
simply have it do a palette swap. Oh, yeah. You've seen this, yes? Oh, yeah, they've been using that since, oh, well, Super Mario Brothers, because you had the green turtles, but then you have the tougher red turtles, because the red turtles went fall off the cliff on their own. Yep. It, it's, been, it's been with us for a while. Now, Shining Force Neo doesn't really do that. It will do one of two things. It will either make the, make the enemy sprite bigger, and in the case of bosses that are, I think, optional, but you should fight them anyway because you need the goods, that's, that's your clue that you're fighting, that you've seen the boss here because it's bigger than anything else. Bigger. It looks exactly the same as most of those other enemies you're looking at, but it's much bigger. Or it will do something even better, which is nothing whatsoever. It's a stronger version of the enemy, but you have no clue about it until it kills you. When you were killing its comrades with the greatest of ease on the other screen. That is truly a a milestone in RPG design, wouldn't you say? Indeed. I mean, bigger enemies, um, you know, instead of doing a straight-up palette swap, man, that's just revolutionary. How about nothing whatsoever? Wow. Now, I will be making... I will force my way through this. Probably I will deal with Dream Team faster because, gosh, I think I'm having fun with it, and Neo, despite its insatiably addictive quality is not something that I am going to be praising much. But eventually, you will hear me spout off considerably more about Shining Force Neo. You will hear me spout off about the fascinating voice acting that Sega apparently employed random people off the street to do. Hmm. And yes, you will... Oh, I have so much to say. The, The wonderful... Well, Phil, hmm. for for say your Diablo style games, mm-hmm. isn't it nice to be able to see everything on the screen? Well, yes, yes. Though they don't always do that really well. No, but that's that's a good ideal to strive toward, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, what would you say about a game that has the camera zoomed a little closer than it needs to be, so that your sprite is you know fairly big, but you can't really see very far in any direction? and has a terrible draw distance. So that that things you can hear are not yet visible. Hmm. And and enemies will actually pop up when you should have been able to hit them first, but you couldn't see them because the game didn't draw them fast enough. Truly, this is some great design right here. Mm-hmm. So, Shining Force Neo. I do not necessarily recommend it unless you are one of the people who seems to like it, in which case you have a strong masochistic gurge. And more power to you. Uh, I saw the Wolverine over the weekend. Uh-oh. Marvel movie. Well, lately those have been pretty good. Yeah, this one is pretty good. Oh, dang it. They do it again? I. It's pretty good as a standalone. All you really need to know is that, well, people don't seem to like to talk about X Men The Last Stand, but all you need to take away from it is that uh, 
Jean Grey ended up dead in the at the end of it, and Wolverine was responsible, and he's haunted by that. But what do you know? His vows of nonviolence just don't take root at his very core. And I will say that there is a bear in the beginning, which is very obviously CG. I don't see why it had to be. We've we've we know what bears look like. Getting a trained bear is not that difficult. Um Yeah, it does a it does a very good job of realizing the Japanese location. It's much it's more thoughtful and pensive than a lot of superhero movies, but it does give you your action. I will say though that the screenwriter seems to have completely forgotten that Wolverine has enhanced senses. You remember that, Phil? Yeah. Wolverine has yep. a great sense of smell, great hearing. Yep. That's that's left by the wayside entirely. <laughs> like, was there situations where he clearly should have smelled or heard them or something? Frequently. That's funny. Uh, yeah, a, a, an incident near the end comes to mind when ninjas are just popping out from the woodwork and spearing him with, you know, those arrows that have ropes attached to them. Y- you'd think Wolverine instead of just trying to walk straight forward and get stuck by all the time, would, you know, do something else because he would... Ah, whatever. And his healing factor is removed for a portion of the movie through uh, an interesting machination that you're, you're kind of going to wonder, how the hell did that initially get into place? But Was that kind of like it, we were taught... Oh, it was... No, it was a spoony... You know how much we love Spoonie, right? We do. The Spoonie video. I remember the Spoonie video. I think it was Final Fantasy VIII. He was talking about how the heroes were thrown into the prison that magic that just sporadically uh, had the ability to suppress all magic use. Remember that? Well, there's a reason for this. Yeah, I remember that. And the reason involves Wolverine apparently being so e- so totally unconscious that someone could put something in him. Which seems questionable, but uh, I'll go with it. I guess that could happen if he really was that out of it. So they stuck something into him. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, I mean, because he's still got flesh and stuff. Sure, he's not Superman. Um... And I gotta admit, I never, I have not read the Japan arc of uh, Wolverine's comics, but I know it's there, and I think he does have a, a woman named Mariko who he falls in love with out there. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. in his backstory in the comics. I've read a lot of his comics, but yeah, that's, I, I don't know, I don't remember exactly in the comic lore what happens to her. I'm sure it's on Wikipedia somewhere, but yeah. yeah. And it, if you see it, stay through the initial credits because the scene that you get, you know, comic book movies nowadays just have a scene in the middle of the credits is a really good one. It, It's kind of a tie-in to the X-Men movie that will be coming next year, but you know what? It's a really good tie-in. Hmm. And... Yeah, it's because it's PG-13 rated, we only get to hear one instance of the F-word, and despite the fact that Wolverine kills 
Uh, I'm going to conservatively say 30, 40 Yakuza members. It never makes the paper in Japan when you'd think, hey, there was a funeral that was assaulted by dozens of gun-toting Yakuza members shooting shooting wildly into the crowd. Many people ended up dead. I guess that never made it into the papers, though. You'd think there would be a gigantic security clampdown all, re- all over Japan. When, when, he, when he killed them, was there, like, lots of blood and guts? Not really. It, you know, it, it's, it's how it was done in, in, in X2. He sticks the claws in, and they just drop. You don't really see anything after that. Mm, interesting. And I want to give a shout-out to In a Lonely Place, which I'm not sure how well-known it is. It's not unknown, but it's... Any movie where I'm actually taken aback at the end because I wasn't ready for it to be over, I have to give a strong shout-out to. This is definitely one of Humphrey Bogart's best performances I've seen. Gloria Graham is really sultry in it. And the subject matter of a woman who falls in love with a man and then is afraid because he might snap into violence at any time. I think that will be relevant for a very long time to come. Hmm. It's classified as a noir, and there is a death in it, but it's more of a love story between two people who probably can't remain together for very long. No. And and a very good one at that. Hmm. And yes, apparently Gloria Graham was having a relationship with the director, Nicholas Ray, until he found her in bed with his son from a previous marriage. Hmm. His 13-year-old son. Hmm. Wow. See, you learn things every day. Every when day. You listen to me. Jeez. <laughs> okay, that, that's my take. Hmm. Okay, cool. Well, hmm. I've been, um, what have I been doing? I don't know what I've been doing. I've been so busy lately. Gosh, what am I so busy with? I don't even know what I'm busy. <gasps> Did I, I already said I, on the last show, I think I mentioned I beat Borderlands. And so I've been pumping a little time into Borderlands 2. Um, the beginning, the first five levels of Borderlands 2 pissed me off. I think, because uh, I tried three different character classes through level five, which is where you finally get, like, your defining little power there. And I died on, especially on two of the three, I seem to keep dying over and over and over again. Um, once you get those signature powers, things kind of eases up a bit, and uh, especially with the uh, some of the classes I've been doing really good. So let's see. Um mentioned to I've been doing I'm still kind of in Strange Journey and Fire Emblem I might be done with those games by 2015 we'll see Uh, you told me that you're at you're at a Fog of War map in Fire Emblem Uh, is this is this the map where um, what's his face Wallace the the general from much earlier in the game showed up and is just wandering around do you remember no, I don't see General Wallace. I don't. I don't think it's that one. It's. Okay. It's. Yeah. 
Any. Because I was trying to think which map it is, and if it's not that one, then... All um, I know is I hate when guys with super silver arrow bows of kick-ass and a fog map just shoot your guys down in one shot. It's not even your Pegasus guy. It's like... Yeah, it's just some normal guy gets killed or a lord or something. It's really great when a lord dies. Oh, yeah, that that forces you to restart. Yeah, you don't get a choice on that one. But I'm taking your advice and... Um, and working on leveling up my lords really well. That chick lord, she's up to like 17, 18 now. But then my other lords, I just noticed are a little bit further behind, so I'm focusing on them more. Let's see, Ella Wood, he's not bad. I guess you just have to get lucky with him. But he was never bad for me. He was never a standout, though. Hector, I could stick in the middle of a crowd and he would usually rip it to shreds and be ready for more. Hmm... Um. So uh, let's see here. So there's that. Lots and lots of you know Pathfinder. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners actually ever get into pen and paper RPGs, but um, outside of playing The Witcher, <laughs> you get some really really good RP with some of these groups. We took our Sunday group and we're now playing on Monday nights. Uh, we're doing Reign of Winter, which is a very interesting adventure path. The adventure paths is Paizo's word for pre-written campaigns. Uh, the premise of the campaign is that you will, uh, in that adventure, winter is taking over the world of Galarian. Suddenly, places that are normally near the equator are getting really, really cold, and you're going to have to go and investigate it. And I'm not really spoiling too much for those people who haven't played yet when I say, because if you, you see a lot of this information just reading the preview, but um, eventually your travels will take you to a uh, to other planes of existence and worlds uh, where you'll fight things beyond your imagination. And there's this one planet in particular, a place called Earth, where you're going to end up fighting in this place called Russia and, uh, and facing head-to-head with this one guy named Rasputin. So that is super cool. Yeah, I I believe I have heard of these proper nouns before. You might you might have you might have, and you'll be. In fact, we may we may have referenced them in a previous RPG backtrack that involved, uh, Shadow Hearts. I think you'll you will be um, yeah, you will be uh, you might be facing off or dealing with Baba Yaga herself, the ancient witch of Russian lore. So really, really cool stuff, and and they're they, you know that first group we got together is really great. So we're having a good time with that. I highly encourage our listeners if you've not done a pen and paper before, there is uh, there's a thing called Pathfinder Society Organized Play, which allow which is basically um, sit down one shot adventures that are four hours each, and you can go in and play uh, with no experience and sit down with uh, with a GM, and he'll give you. A beginning character, so you can get, at least get started, and you can experience a, a pen and paper role playing game right then and there. Uh, and there's a you can go to paizo.com. You can you can click on Pathfinder Society Organized Play, and there's an events button where you can see if there's any local events in your area because people will post them up on there. Um, but Pathfinder Society is definitely really cool because it allows people to just basically tr- come in, play games, drop in and drop out because it's not like the ongoing campaign, which is your typical long story where you need the same characters from beginning to end and you have to pretty much guarantee you're going to be there every week from 6 to 10 so anywho doing a lot a lot of new changes coming up with that organized campaign too that are super super exciting but uh, uh, we won't go into details of that really playing on um, haven't 
yeah, I'm doing some retro gaming, but I can't really talk about that right now because I'm saving up for episode 100. So I got some uh, some good things in store for y'all. 100. I might have accidentally slipped it once or twice before, but um, going to be talking about something really exciting on episode 100. Other than my, of course, my top one pick, but also a very very retro, some very very retro stuff coming up for uh, some of you. It'll really be tickling your your old memory, and uh, that I'm working on for that. And I just got Dragon's Crown, and I'm touching people on my Vita. You sure are. And, and as you touch people, will they touch you back? Well, I haven't gotten too far because, as I mentioned before, I, I was trying not to play it before, you know, during the show because I didn't want to get too, too distracted. But now I've kind of got going. I've just gotten through the quick tutorial. I'm in this magic shop. It's called Morgan's Magic Item Shot. And I'm guessing that Morgan spends some of her magic on personal enhancements, if you know what I mean. Um... And if you touch her personal enhancement, she says, watch your hands lest she, or no, well, she doesn't say it, the narrator says, watch your hands lest she decide to turn them to stone. What? Yeah. Only your hands. Yeah, I guess the rest of me can be okay. I'll just walk around with. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we kind of talked a little bit about what makes this game why this game's gotten a good review and to go check that out on the side and um, I'm already loving just in the 10 minutes I played it so far really really loving the Vanillaware graphics and what was that one Vanillaware game oh my gosh I am so drawing a blank I'm gonna have to look it up now Odin Sphere? Mm, Odin is it Odin Sphere? is that the one the side scrolling one I'm thinking of? Uh, mm, probably if it's, not Odin, if it's not Odin Sphere then maybe it's Muramasa? Well, Miramasa is a good one, yeah. Or and yeah, yes, you're right. Odin Sphere. I'm just looking at the. I just had to look at the screenshot real fast. I was just drawing a, a big blank. If you like Odin Sphere, this one's definitely invoking the Odin Sphere meets meets maybe one of those. Um, oh, the, on the Genesis, that one side-scrolling Streets of Rage, but with fantasy themed. Streets of Rage meets fantasy. Well, I I played a lot more Streets of Rage than Golden Axe. Golden Axe. There you go. So Odin Sphere meets Golden Axe is the vibe I'm getting so far. Um, pretty, pretty cool. And definitely with the Vita's high contrast, bright, sharp screen, the, the graphics are just very, very striking. Very pretty. Pretty graphics. Pretty. Hmm. We like pretty. So, um, and I got this little thief with a big, huge... Uh, just like Golden, you know, in Golden Axe, sometimes this little gnome-looking or halfling-looking thief with a bag slung over his shoulder would come out and smack him around so crap would fall, fly out of his bag. Uh, in Dragon's Crown, there is a rogue. Uh, he doesn't look like a halfling, but he is kind of short compared to my fighter. Uh, but there is a guy falling behind me with a big old burlap sack slung over his chest, and he can help me open doors and chest apparently. So that's pretty funny. I think they are trying to invoke some of those Golden Axe memories. Um, yeah. So really cool. Really cool, really cool, really cool. Well, I I do like my beat-em-ups. Beat-em-ups. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think that's all. I sank an awful lot of money into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. 
Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh. And the Simpsons game. Oh, yeah, the Simpsons. In fact, uh, I was in a little brother program for a while. And here in Utah, they have something we never had in Florida, and that's uh, Nickelcades. And those are places where you go in, it's usually like a $2 entry fee. And then you can buy rolls of nickels to play the arcade machines. And they got arcade machines going all the way back and pinball machines going all the way back to Pac-Man and to more modern games. Some of the games will take two or three nickels um, and the such, but a lot of them are just one nickel. And so the first game I played with my little brother in there was The Simpsons because that's a great co-op game. And we played it all the way to the end because we could keep stuffing the nickels in. We kept dying over and over again. At least it wasn't quarters. And we were able to, to, to have a, a good time out of that. So, yeah. It's a lot to be said for The Simpsons. And that show's still going, isn't it? They're still making... That's, yes, it's mind-blowing. It's in its, I think... Uh, is, it, is the 23rd or the 24th season it's on right now, and it's going to keep going. It's just crazy. Uh, and a, yeah, that's just, that's just incredible. Yeah, actually, there was a. I saw that recently a deal was reached where The Simpsons will start airing on cable instead of just, uh, you know, where where reruns will show up on your local TV affiliates. It, did, it had not been on cable prior to this because somebody drew up a contract twenty years ago that stipulated until new episodes stop airing, they will not air on cable. And then somebody finally revised that and realized, uh, if we're going to make any money off of this, we better change it now. Because <laughs> it passed episode 500 a while ago, and I'm sure it's week working on episode 600 well, now. You know, I one time, uh, I watched through the entire nine seasons of Seinfeld. And when I finally got to the end of that, it was like, wow, that was that was a trip. I can't imagine going through 23 seasons or 24 seasons of a... Wow, that would just... Well, especially when it's generally acknowledged that The Simpsons has not maintained the same quality standard. It's, it's kind of been on a slow, gradual downhill course over the years, and I watched an episode from, I think it was about 2007 or so, that was pretty bad. <sighs> Look, anything that shows me a, dis- a disaster-plagued town and then makes the point really obvious by saying, this is just like Baghdad in Iraq. Uh, no, don't do not do that. I'm sorry. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like some stellar writing going on there. What's, what's even sadder was that that was the Treehouse of Horror episode for the year. Oh, goodness. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think that's all I can think about, Mike. What about you? I think we don't need to strain ourselves anymore because we'll be able to do this again come not too long. Yeah, it won't be too long. So, um, I think there is one thing we need to talk about, and that is... RP Gamer is a produ- RP Gamer. RP Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Help shape our future shows um, by uh, leaving comments on the forums at board.rpgamer.com. Uh, you can shoot us off an email, jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com. You can look me up on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash jcservant, Twitter. 
dot com forward slash JC Servant also works as well. Now, for all of RP Gamer news, follow us at twitter.com forward slash RP Gamer and uh, follow us on facebook.com forward slash RP Gamer. Thank you very so much for listening to the show. Uh, you might want to stay in after the end song. We do have a reader comment or review or two that will be on tacked on to the end here so make sure you hang on for that for a little extra something something as we like to say and of course uh not only do i thank y'all for listening i give a huge uh, thanks here to mr mike minky he's the one who puts this together i just show up and uh and mr uh, john calendar and uh mr who who was the other guy mr apps, apps ipad apps got it all right so we thank both of y'all for being on as well. And uh, join us in a week or two for our next RPG. Oh, wait a minute. You're supposed to put us to bed. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm making up my own. I'm so like out of it today. I'm just like making up my own endings. What the hell? Mr. Mike, why don't you take us home? All I have to say is Final Fantasy VII warranted all these sequels. Really? No, no other Final Fantasy warranted this many sequels. Four got some sequel. At least, how many sequels do we want to count it as? I don't know. Five got no sequels. Three, two, one. They got no sequels. Although I can understand that. Six has no sequels. Interesting. Eight has no sequels. Very interesting. Nine has no sequels. Also interesting. Ten has a sequel. Twelve has a. Yeah, I guess we can call it a sequel. And 13, let's not get into that yet because we haven't... Because this, the dang thing is still coming out so we can't do a backtrack on it yet. So really, was Final Fantasy VII most deserving of sequels in this series?
Hello RPG Backtrack, this is Tsubaki Samurai. I uh, just wanted to chime in with some thoughts about Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. As soon as I heard that you guys were going to record a backtrack that at all involved that game, I had to just get right in here with a voice recording. Um, so basically, the main thing I want to talk about is that ending. Um, I know you guys are going to cover pretty much the whole game, but what really sticks out in my mind, you know, I played that pretty soon after it came out. Um, I was about 25 years old, and uh, I really felt like I kind of identified with the character of Zack a lot more than Cloud um, from Final Fantasy VII, because Zack is just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. I mean, he he doesn't have the... the um, burden of sorrow that Cloud seems to have throughout Final Fantasy VII. He's just, you know, he wants to be the best person he can be. He's really energetic and upbeat. And uh, then at the end of the game, you know, he just, he it's devastating the way he, he dies. Um, you know, it's, it's a situation that he can't overcome. Here's this guy that has all this power, and he he can't do anything. He's trying to protect his friend, and, and he sacrifices himself. Um you know, I think it's an interesting uh, comparison. Final Fantasy VII is basically, in my mind, it's kind of about how Cloud is kind of nothing without his friends. He only succeeds because he has that group of that support group behind him, kind of pushing him along. Uh, even with his 17 swords that he keeps in his pocket, you know, he he can't do it on his own. He can't do it without Tifa and without Barrett and and the whole rest of the cast. Um, and Zack is the same way in Crisis Core. And, you know, at the end of the game, that's exactly what we see, is they use the um, the slot machine mechanic to great effect at the end of the game, where he you can you can tell that he... The, the point is that he is remembering everyone that's helped him up to this point. And slowly, those memories are fading as he's losing his health, and, you know, he's ultimately dying. Um, but, you know, I, I finished that game, and, geez, I, I wanted to just... I wanted to call people and tell them that I loved them, you know, like I wanted to get in touch with friends that I hadn't seen in a while, and this game is memento mori, this game is, you know, it's it's a reminder that we shouldn't take things for granted, um, you know, life is fleeting, and, you know, I, I think a, a scene like that really drives it home just like a scene would in a great movie, um, and I can't really think of many other games that, that take it that far, that, you know, show the death scene and show him show what is going through his mind as he's as his life is slipping away so uh yeah um again you know not not it has its flaws the game is is fun it can be a bit repetitive um i really like you know the post game where you can break the limit on damage and and do the uh there's a move i, I believe it's called costly punch that just just breaks the game in half um I find that kind of stuff fun, but I, you know, it has its flaws. I don't think the music is all that memorable. It is pretty repetitive at parts, and some of the, some of the, uh, like the, the main villain is kind of forgettable. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, I think it's it's a really good game, and I think it's it's definitely worth playing for any RPG fan, simply for that ending. Um, it's it's definitely something that needs to be experienced. Um, so yeah, that's about all I had, um, and. Thanks for playing this if, if you do so. Thanks a lot.